still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through. That's right, we're gonna get another one in before the enthusiasm wanes I am, of course, your host, the great Brian Last, and here, Captain Enthusiasm himself, the star of the drive-thru, Mr. Jim Cornette. Hello, that hello, friends, woke me up. You left that 10 seconds so we could edit, uh, and, and I managed to nod off in that time period. Hello, Brian, you are my friend. For now, we'll see how long that lasts. Hello, all you other friends out there and all the ships at sea. Are we ready to go to press with another exciting edition of Corny's drive Through? And nobody, since the last time we did one of these shows, has actually come to fisticuffs in the wrestling business, at least of the legitimate kind that we're aware of. And nobody since last time has been suspended. We have not received verification that anybody's been asked to leave the premises and never return because behavior like that is not tolerated in this environment. So what are we going to talk about today, Brian? We're going to actually have to have questions from the cult of Cornette today on the program, I guess, to fill our, our requisite time. here. You know, people noticed that last week we went into overdrive because there was so much to unpack as they say on the news programs so today maybe we'll 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 be coasting downhill and have a pleasant time without having to refer to all this strife and confusion that's taking place i had some strife and confusion this morning i get a you've never seen my little quiet little country road in person at least you may have seen a few photographs but i look out the window this morning at 8 o'clock, barely after light, and there is a string of cars stopped on the road in front of the castle. And I'm, what the fuck? And I look out, and there's a county guy. So this is between 8 and 8.30. It's, it's prime time for all these people that live in all these new subdivisions that have figured out that they can trespass on my road and get to the interstate quicker cutting through instead of going places they have stoplights and things of that nature. And at this time of day, the county thinks that this is a good idea to remove my road. They are removing the road, Brian. 
And they had sounds like everything you've ever hoped for. Well, I, but not like this. It's still <laughs> a they didn't they didn't bother to block it off at both ends and just take it out. They've just destroyed it. They had people stop for like 10 or 15 minutes in each direction. I've I've heard from my contractors who battled their way here, more on that in a second, that they have stripped all the asphalt off from the past the dairy farm all the way to the end of the thing where it, it juts into the main highway. And two lanes of asphalt have been removed all the way around the farm turn, and then the rest of it they've eaten off a goddamn whole entire lane all the way down to the corner on the left. And since there ain't no way to get off that street, this road, in between the corner on the left and all the way down where it runs into the main highway, you're pretty much trapped once you've committed to get on this fucking death tour now. So that what they did, as, as I said, they had traffic stopped in one direction for like 10 or 15 minutes, and they let them go by. Well, then it's just cars endlessly, boom, boom, boom. And in the other direction. And then finally, my contractors managed to get here through this chaos that's going on because they are installing, or supposed to today, these giant faux beams. Do you know what a faux beam is, Brian? No, I don't know. what. Where do they install that's this faux beam? That's a beam faux me. I've got several of them. They're all faux me, and they're going to be installed in the in the. We have in each room that we're having remodeled. We have these faux beams that looks like they hold up a beautiful. They're oak and they're stained and they're lovely, and it looks like they hold up this stained wooden ceiling that we have in a couple of different places in these rooms. And they're trying to get the daggum stuff in here through this gut. And the, the road is so narrow anyway, these big dump trucks are trying to pass each other on both sides and they're running off the edge of the road and they're running into the trees. And then here comes this goddamn thing down in front of the castle. It's a an asphalt removal machine of some description that is just grinding up the top of the road and shooting it up this look like a coal chute forward into the back of a giant drump drump truck a dump truck that it is following closely behind at five miles an hour and all these fucking pieces of asphalt are flying all over everywhere and the goddamn honking and the beeping and the backing up and the grinding is goddamn and today is the day i'll have you know just completely at random, since the county decided to sabotage the only way I have to get out of here, anybody has to get in here, that I have $1,000 worth of shipping supplies being delivered today because action figure Armageddon starts this Saturday. And there's going to be a big truck pulling up with all these goddamn boxes and shipping supplies off of a goddamn demolished road to potentially further add to the chaos around here. It used to be so quiet. And there's the noon whistle going off. God damn it. Don't they think people know when it's noon? <laughs> I mean, seriously, don't they, don't they think people know when they can check their watch or their phone? Or if they're watching television or listening to the radio, do they need to fucking drive every goddamn 
stray dog in the county crazy with the noon whistle. How loud is your noon whistle? I don't know if I have one out here by me, but I had one in Long Beach growing up. I never really had too big a problem with it. I always didn't mind it. I didn't know you had a problem with it. Is it always been this way or is this a new? No, I've always issue? hated the noon whistle. It's it's ridiculous. Can you hear that? Goddamn droning on. We know it's noon. We can look up in the sky and see the sun. What it's if, high noon. But what if someone's out on the town? They don't have a watch. They're going shopping. They're doing something. It reminds them, oh, I got to go to the car in a half hour. Well, then who's going to remind them when a half hour comes? There is no 1230 whistle. Well, you could start heading back. Okay, you, now's the time to start heading back. It's going to take you 30 minutes to walk to your fucking car. Where'd you park, Shively? Well, it's hard to find good parking nowadays. <laughs> in Shively or anywhere else, in any major in metropolitan Shively. area. You park in Shively, your car may not come back or be there when you come back. Anyway, but so the shipping supplies are hopefully going to arrive, but I've got a few days backup. I did mention action figure Armageddon, but the red letter day is fast approaching us, Brian. Not only my birthday, a national day of, of joy and merriment and mirth making, they're going to be making mirth the likes of which you've never seen before this Saturday. Because not only is it the celebration of my birth 61 glorious years ago, but to add to the smiles that we're going to put on people's faces this weekend, you're going to have to wipe them fucking smiles off with a sandblaster, ladies and gentlemen. The brand new Jim Cornette action figures never before seen, all new designs. Go on sale at jimcornette.com this Saturday, September 17th at noon Eastern time. And Australia and New Zealand, you're welcome to jump in this time. I believe we've straightened out the mail situ situation over there. But everybody can join in, Brian, in, in not only the perfect marketing strategy, you buy me a birthday gift, which is buying an action figure, you get a free action figure. It's amazing, but not only that, but all kinds of people will be able to participate in this and get their action figure before Christmas, because as we know from the past, that's about how long it's going to take me to sign and send all these out. But once again, ladies and gentlemen, the 1993 Raw debut variant of me in my pink and red suit that was so beloved by the fans comes complete with glasses, microphone, racket, and I will sign them in any way that you desire. There's less than 1,500 of those signed action figures going on sale at jimcornette.com, and then they're done. We're not remaking them. But if you miss out on one of those at the same time going on sale is the Santa Corny variant, which comes with glasses, microphone, tennis racket, and a jaunty, sporty Santa cap on my jaunty sporty head which they have captured in plastic and and hand painted by chinese artists sound like i'm selling collector plates now don't i so anyway and i can sign those either merry christmas or bah humbug or anything else you want and there's less than 1500 of those and we're not remaking these now that we got it right i was missing the santa hat and the beautifully hand painted 
handkerchief in my jacket on the last Christmas variant. So we changed the whole thing up. You can see them right now. Banners on the front page at jimcornette.com. But they go on sale Saturday, September 17th at noon Eastern. And again, tremendous opportunity to get me a birthday gift, as you've always wanted to do, and get something free for yourself. You buy an action figure for me for my birthday, and I will send it right out to you. Brian, I'm telling you, you're scoffing at me, but this is one of the great marketing campaigns of all time. Everybody prospers. All right, well, we'll see if the listeners prosper today. Well, boy, can can we give you a shot of adrenochrome or something to fucking jack you up today? You're still tired from last week, aren't you? I'm, I'm in fighting fit, as Bobby Fulton used to say, fighting for air and fit for nothing. But I'm ready to go today. And now we have no reviews today, so this is the first in a while. Yes, so maybe we'll have a good show today without these wrestlers to interrupt us i'm looking through some questions here this is the first time i've gotten the questions within like have you have you have you have you gotten out of practice you've lost it's been the ability to find you know what today is by the way also today is the 50 year anniversary it was 50 years ago today the release of me and mrs jones by billy paul did you see this on twitter earlier You know, I did not see the headline, but I saw a Billy Paul video, the one video that always plays whenever anyone talks about Billy Paul. Yes. I saw that video, so I didn't realize the, I didn't realize the connotation, I guess. Me! Oh, God. Mrs. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, we got a thing going on. Hey, let me ask you a question, because... We both know that it's wrong. You do this to everyone. But it's much too oh, God. Come on. to let it go now. What did you say? What I was going to we say. We meet at the same cafe. <laughs> no, go ahead. What, 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 what were you saying? I'm sorry. I was lost in the groove. Do you think nowadays he would use adult friend finder? Well, possibly it would be easier. Instead they of meeting in the cafe? At the same cafe <laughs> yeah, at 430. Right. And and by the way, where was where was Mr. Jones? At work? That they could well, but he at work at 430, he's about to get off, right? Meanwhile, you don't know. Billy Paul's about to get off. What does he do? Maybe he's going into work late. Maybe he's a night workman. What shift was Mr. Jones working on at that time? Where Mrs. Jones had a thing going on. Yeah, conveniently left out of the song. But it seems like they'd meet at the cafe like at 12.30. So a little afternoon delight, Starland Vocal Band. Started out this morning, now so... You see what I'm saying? How bad do you think she is? Do you think she walks her husband to work and then before she goes home just goes to the cafe? Walks her husband to work? What is it? What is <laughs> it? Does, he need, does he need help? He got to stop and piss on a fire hydrant on the way. No wonder she's fucking around with Mr. Jones. He's incontinent. Hands him a bagged lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Gives him a little kiss on the cheek. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Okay, Mr. Jones, you be home. Have fun at the mill. I'll be at home doing nothing. No. I don't, well, you know, we need more information. Billy Paul should have done a sequel song. Or an answer song, as they used to call them back in the old days. Well, maybe after this AEW drama that we could have a second investigation into Billy Paul and Mrs. Jones and, in fact, Mr. Jones. But my question 
Did do you think that yes. Mr. Jones ever hired a private investigator, a third party to follow Mrs. Jones around, potentially Billy Paul as well? There is nothing in the song that indicates that Mr. Jones was privy to any of these goings on. Well, whether they were doing it in the privy or the cafe, wherever they were meeting, still, I think if he'd have hired an independent third-party investigator, we we would have a report now. At least he could have cleared who the innocent parties were. Yeah, I think the guilty party is the guy who wrote the song, and he's singing it. <laughs> I know he says he's innocent, but listen to what he's saying. What and I was going to ask you. We both know that it's wrong, but it's much too strong to let it go now. All right, listen. Uh-huh, listen. Oh, you're going to rap for us now, Mac. Max. Mac. Mac. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mac Caster. Well, before, That's him. Before Mac the Knife over here gets into action, what I was going <laughs> to ask you is, how old were you when you really got into soul music and funk? And, I mean, everyone's always surprised when they hear about the music you're actually into. I mean, you were going to Earth, Wind, and Fire concerts. How old were you when you got into that music? Well, it was kind of contemporary. See, that's the thing. It's not like I had to go and research the back catalog. Um, so, okay, what when was... Obviously, Maurice White and several of the members of Earth, Wind, and Fire and his family were with the Ramsey Lewis Trio. The in crowd was a hit in 67 oh, you saw he right? just passed away right who ramsey lewis i did not he ju- uh, yesterday he just passed away well 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 sorry ramsey but i <laughs> would have talked about you earlier if i'd have known that you were sick but anyway um <laughs> but then earth went and fire the first album was what 71 i'm 10 so by the i'm starting to hear uh, not only, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire and Soul music, but also Top 40 stuff on the radio. And then, you know, you get your driver's license and you get the car stereo, at which my first car, the stereo cost one-sixth of what the car cost. And that was only like $400. But, uh, and then, you know, and then the the revolution in cassette Tape sound was during the late seventies when I started making a little money and then VCRs, etc. So I was into especially really well recorded shit and uh, you know stuff that uh, it didn't matter whether it was Earth, Wind, and Fire or Boston. Two completely different, obviously genres and bands and kind of things, but. I just I liked uh, a variety of things as long as they were well recorded. That's why I got into Alan Parsons. Did Louisville have a station, or when did it first have a station? If it did, <clears throat> that played. Wait a minute. What do you mean? Did it first? Listen. Have a station let me finish my did? question. We have several stations. I have a question. All right. Well, I got an answer. As I was saying, did Louisville ever have a station <laughs> 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 that um, early on embraced? What in America would be under the umbrella of new wave, but punk music, new wave music, late seventies, early eighties. Was there anything locally that you know took that on, or was everything just straight ahead, top forty rock and roll? Um, if if they did, and this would be forty years ago, I wasn't listening to it, so I don't remember. We had the first FM rock station that we had in town was WLRS, the Walrus. Uh, and that was what, 71, 72, maybe. And that was album rock. 
Uh, and obviously I needed the car stereo because the car that I, my first car only had an AM radio in it to begin with. But no, at the time here in Louisville, uh, correct me, Travis Heckle, you're still alive as of last report. We appreciate you coming back and, and nipping up. Uh, he's almost as old as I am. I QMF was the, the, one of the big rock stations in town. Wacky Radio had been the AM top 40, you know, rock and roll type station with the crazy DJs before most people got FM radio. But I, I don't know if anybody was embracing New Wave at that point. All right. And you certainly never embraced that, even though you like good sounding music. You never embraced I was, I was, I was shortwave. You were shortwave. I was shortwave. All right, well, let's, sh- let's see. So those I'll... figures go on sale on Saturday, September 7th. Oh, shit. <laughs> you, started talking about oh, Billy... shit. you started talking about Billy Paul. I didn't realize you weren't done with the figures. No, I, I was done with the figures. I'm just trying to bring you back into something entertaining. Well, there's no hope for that this week here on the show, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But let's uh, see what we can do. This fucking chair. Now this chair is really Oh, now, wait off. a minute. Hold on here now. I thought you threw the squeaky chair out the window months ago before you moved into the brand new enlarged last manor. It wasn't out the window, but I did throw it. And I did get rid of it. And I got a new one. And, and it's it, squeaking again. And it's now creating squeakiness. What are you doing in that chair? You're not allowed to do things like that in a, in a chair in a home with children in it. First of all, I'm sitting in the chair, sometimes aggressively jumping into the chair before I sit. Aggressively what jumping What could I possibly the- even be doing in your filthy mind that would cause this chair yeah. to be in such disrepair with the children in the house, God forbid? Well, it just if, if Child and Family Services hears you got a squeaky chair, they're going to instantly know what you've been doing. Because haven't you ever heard the old saying, if the chair is rocking, then don't come a-knocking? Or if the chair is squeaking, then quit peeking? I've never heard either of those. No, well, especially the kids, the last at the chair squeaking, you got to quit peeking at the kids on that one. You could tarnish their minds like that. All right. Well, speaking of minds tarnished, <laughs> it's your show. It's my show, motherfuckers. Two weeks, it's your show. I'm following you. I'm just holding this dog, Brian Last. You know, we had someone. At least one. It may have been two people that wrote in in the last 24 hours because I think the clip just went up on YouTube. And they said, Jim Cornette always says this thing about, you know, I'm holding the dog or whatever the expression is. (laughs) But when he talked about Johnny Valentine, he said, in this case, it may be true. (laughs) Why did he say that? (laughs) Valentine was known to be different. And to have a very brutal sense of humor, if nothing else, and would at least go to any lengths for a rib, as well as in some cases also for gratification of some manner or another, as as we've heard stories of down through the years, although I was never one to witness that personally. Did I tell you what we found out about Johnny Valentine in Louisville? I don't know. I'm afraid. What animals do you have in Louisville? <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually, the, part of it took place in the shower. But Bobby Heenan 
he used to tell a story, and, and I think it was in one of his books also, but he told it to me, and he, his first day in wrestling, which actually when Bruiser had called him to the office and changed his name and told him, you're going to manage the assassins who were at the time were Guy Mitchell and, and Joe Tommaso, not the main set of assassins in Georgia. This was in Indianapolis. And they sent him to Louisville in 1965, one of the last shows that Bruiser ran here before the town went dark. And that was his first night in wrestling. Well, one of the assassins, I think it was Tommaso, didn't show up. So they put Bobby under the hood and they wore a full body gimmick. And, it, and they were treating Louisville like a spot show anyway. It was like a four match card. And he had to wrestle at night and, and he had never done, he'd never even managed before, but he ended up. They just stood him on the corner, and he interfered a couple of times. The other guy did the thing, blah, blah, blah. But he said that night in the locker room, Johnny Valentine and Wee Willie Davis get into a fucking fight, and Wee Willie Davis is using his nightstick on Johnny Valentine, and guys were reaching for their bags like they had a gun. And then on the way home, he saw a wreck on the bridge across the Ohio River, and just what a night he had, first night in wrestling business, right? But then John Cosper and I uh, did research on Louisville during those years for the the various the books that John has has done and and you know I was tagging along and got to use some of it for Tuesday night at the gardens. But there was that night apparently the same night Johnny Valentine was actually arrested here in Louisville. Uh, by the cops, I'm trying to think, was it disorderly conduct or public drunkenness or some amalgamation of both after the matches at what was then called Convention Center before they called it Louisville Gardens? And apparently, that's what precipitated the fight with Wee Willie Davis, which Bobby had no idea who anybody was at that point. It's his first night in and it's in Louisville. He's never been here before, whatever. Wee Willie Davis was not only an ex-wrestler who was like six feet nine and 320 pounds or whatever. He was one of the guys that had the tug of war with Mighty Joe Young in the 1949 movie, along with Sam Miniker and Angel and blah, 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 a whole bunch of guys. Well, since he had retired, Wee Willie Davis in the late 50s and through the mid-60s was kind of like either the local promoter in Louisville for Barnett's Indianapolis office and he tried a little bit of promoting himself but that didn't work but he was the local promoter for the Indianapolis office and he also worked for the sheriff's department and apparently whatever Valentine did and got in a beef with some fan in the audience or whatever the fuck they sent Wee Willie Davis in to get Johnny Valentine, because now it makes perfect sense. They didn't even let the cops in the locker room back in the old days, in the 70s, when I started at the gardens, unless they were there was some official business, right? But you couldn't just wander around in there. So a lot of the cops, they'd never been down there. And they think instead of going and you know, in this in this wrestler's locker room with 10 or 12 of these guys, we'll send in Wee Willie Davis, who knows the situation. And apparently he and Valentine got in such a fucking beef that goddamn Davis took his nightstick and started whacking the fuck out of Valentine. And they ended up arresting him, taking him to jail that night. So it was interesting in the locker room back in the old days, too. It's just that it it actually was more interesting 
now that I come to think about it. Nobody got nightsticked on this one by a giant who once had a tug of war with a fucking mutant gorilla. All right, well, let's get away Have from those that. English words ever been put in that order before? I believe that's a popular wrestling company, Mutant Gorilla or something. But, Jim, I want to ask you about something I'm just seeing right now. This is on the Observer site. Oh, boy, breaking news? I wouldn't say this is breaking news, just something to ask you about. AEW files the trademark House of Black. <laughs> the filing was submitted on September 8th. AEW has filed the trademark House of Black for wrestling purposes. <laughs> submitted September 8th, one day after reports were released that Malachi Black had received a conditional release from the company. Apparently, Brody King and Buddy Matthews will now be a tag team with Julia Hart. But any thoughts on the idea that trademarking this name before anything else happens? Well, that was my first thought, is they the conditional release means, among other things, guess what? You ain't going to do the same thing that we've just been attempting to push on our television, uh, failing miserably, but attempting to, somewhere else. If you decide that, you know, you really don't want to step away from wrestling, you just want to step away from our wrestling because your ex-mentor is back in charge of the other company. So now they'll have the House of Black trademarked. If he wants to return to wrestling, I guess, then he could return to AEW and be the House of Black. But otherwise, it'll be the House of Black with nobody in it named Black. Or maybe they'll just hold on to House of Black and see if he comes back. And then they, and then they can say he's back in Black. The name Buddy Black is a lot cooler than <laughs> Buddy Murphy. <laughs> well there you go he could be buddy black and he could be the buddy of the house of black and the other guy could be brody black and then they could have julia black and then we'll see when alistair black just happens to pop up on raw at some point but jim let me get another question here let's get some serious stuff now we have a lot of questions about the cm punk aew elite all drama wrestling issues. We'll get to them a little bit later. Let's get to some of the other topics and some of the other serious things here early in the show. Jim, this next question sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Will in Illinois. The hockey talk man said in a shoot interview that Howard Finkel had what he called perhaps the biggest collection of pornographic material in the United States. <laughs> Was this something commonly known about the Fink? Also, any other people in the business known to possess a copious celluloid copulation collection? Also, any chances <laughs> makes a future episode of WWE Most Wanted Treasures? <laughs> down Finkel's porn. I honestly have never saw Finkel's collection. I... I have a hard time believing that even 25 years ago it could have rivaled mine, but nevertheless, we'll we'll give him that. How did word get out? Did he like to come up to guys and just talk like, "Hey, did you see Cafe Flesh?" No, actually, I mean, I I can't sit here with a gun to my head and say that Finkel never referenced a fucking X-rated video to me because I mean, who hasn't at, at various points in their life? Um, 
What? I'm serious. Who had that have to be some in their people. life and talking about, yeah, fucking this Vanessa Del Rio flick one time in the 70s or whatever. In the you 70s, know. yeah. Or the the modern, the, you know, I, I mean, Stan Lane and I were guests in the Vivid Video Warehouse in the 80s, and, and Steve Hirsch would just say, just pull down whatever you want. So, fuck, one time I had to have them boxed up and shipped back. I couldn't take them all on the plane. Um. But you're talking about various, movies, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I would Just have bought pull, them playing. Pull whatever, you did, pull whatever you want they, down and take it. <laughs> no, the Vivid Girls were ticket worthy. You wouldn't have put them on a bus. No, the ones you really liked, you always bought a plane ticket for. But anyway. We're talking about going the late back Howard to, Finkel? Yes. But at some point in any adult's life, they've you know talked about or made a joke about a an X-rated movie is what I'm saying to you. There was no... At the time that I was working with Finkel, there was no porn on the internet because there wasn't really any fucking internet to speak of. It was it still looked like fucking pong graphics when you got on whatever it was back then. But anyway, so I don't know this, and I've not honestly heard this be a a large subject uh, uh, about talking about Finkel. I've always heard about his collection of, of vintage music and he was a fucking oldies trivia just bulldog he could he could bowl you over with oldies music trivia as a matter of fact that's one of the things that we did most often because i was the only other one in the office at one point that he could talk to regularly that could compete with him in any appreciable way and he was still better than me but nevertheless i don't know about this giant pornography collection of, of howard finkel's would you imagine that his smut collection is purely videotape, or do you think there'll be a large magazine collection as part of this smut collection? Well, if he if if it was that large, and this was you know, gosh, the when when would Wayne been around? Honky been around him uh, last, you know, the early mid two thousands at at best. So, but how would Harper know too? I mean, it's not like did I, I mean, was it like, hey, well, come maybe over? They were talking about it. Come over, I mean, take a look. You know, Behind I the don't curtain. know if you if if he'd asked Finkel, hey Fink, have you got you know thousands of porn magazines and videos? Maybe he said, I don't know how that would have come up, but things come up. I just between adults. I just wish I had a copy of New Wave Hookers. I have one. Well, I've got one too. As a matter of fact, actually, is it new shit? I got to check now. Is it New Wave Hookers or New Wave Hookers Part Two? Because I've got the old VHS tapes came with the full color cardboard boxes. Remember, and they're, so they're like you know stuff you can put on your shelf and display. It's a very high class porn packaging, and they didn't just have the all of the members hanging into the orifices and everything on covers back then. They were more tasteful. They were really artfully done. Hey, if we could actually seriously discuss porn for a second and how it relates to wrestling and everything that is introduced as a new format to watch content or record content, the early adapters are always, or early adopters, I guess I should say, are always yeah. wrestling fans and fans of pornography. What do you think the porn business gets right about marketing or packaging or anything else that wrestling, at least from your knowledge of the classic porn business, that wrestling gets wrong? Where are they ahead of the game and where are they behind the game in terms of getting their content to a specific audience and kind of avoiding any other form of advertising or anything else? Well, 
it's very similar in the early video era. I mean, now, my God, it does, you know, I don't know if anybody, if there are any major million selling porn videos today because everything's free on the internet. And if you go into a, a porn store, you know, it's just thousands of things. I don't know how they find the people or the time to shoot them. But early on, and we've talked about this, uh, uh, porn was instrumental in a lot of things early on in the home video revolution, including, you know, and some people scoff at this, but VHS being the format that the American porn producers picked heavily weighed the VHS beta fight toward VHS, at least in this country. And in Japan, beta was 10 to 1 the most popular for quite some time. But maybe the, the Japanese tentacle monsters, I don't know what their porn industry was like um, early on. But think about this. When was the first, even with Vince, when were the first commercial wrestling videotapes released? What 85. year? Exactly. I had a VCR in late 1979. I know I was way ahead of the crowd because of my fascination with wanting to tape wrestling. But by 1981, 1982, there were tons of Hollywood movies readily available on video, and more people were getting VCRs, and they were coming down in price. And by 83, 84, there were video stores, at least as I remember about that time frame, except in Louisiana. They were about 20 years behind the times. And wrestling did nothing. And and Jerry Jarrett in 1983 was still recording over not only the tapes of the matches that he taped at the Mid-South Coliseum that never made TV and would have been the first thing that I would have mined to do video releases, but he was taping over the goddamn television show still. And so were the other promoters, most of them. Graham saved everything. Vern saved everything. Obviously, Vince and Vince Sr. But, you know, that was few and far between. So, wrestling really... <laughs> porn was one of the first things you could get to stick in your VCR. But wrestling lost out on like five years of that, two or three years that they could have been making money. And four or five years to compete with porn. Um, I know, I know more people like fucking than wrestling, but still the point is that the, the wrestling promotions were all, even Vince was all late to doing anything on home video. And then it, the first home video was not a WWF project. It was the, the PW insider take they did, right? That's Lords right. of the ring. Yeah. Jeff Otto. I wanted to ask you about something, though, and, and you're right. And I actually have, like, I was able to get all of the original run of VHS, WWF, and Coliseum Home Video, and then, like, those things, like Lords of the Ring, and then there were those videos that came out with Mid-Atlantic squash matches. I mean, there's all sorts of weird <laughs> early video releases. But if we're going back to when you first got VHS, let's say 1980. 1980, there was porn available on video, correct? Correct. Wrestling... When Vince McMahon gets his deal with Coliseum in 85, he's going national. So if him or anyone else did something in 1980, it was still a territory system. Now, maybe you can make a deal. It's not crazy to think at that point, 
You could still make a deal. Hey, I'm doing this video thing. If we include you, we can make some money. Let's split it, advertise it on your show. You never know. But if one of the promoters actually wanted to do that and release wrestling content in 1980 or 1981 commercially on VHS, obviously the price was sky high at that point, but because it wasn't national yet, would it have sold and where? Who could have done it? Who would have had an audience that would have been able to purchase it or would have purchased it yet? Well, here's the thing. In, in 1980, maybe nobody, because there were so few people with VCRs. But as it started to grow exponentially, you mentioned the price was ridiculous. And not only for uh, two-hour porn video, VHS videos, but also Hollywood videos, any uh, um, major motion picture release, whatever, a two-hour VHS to buy it in those days, early 80s, was literally between, what, $79 and $99. Yeah, right? when, I was, when I was a kid, my friend's dad got a Return of the Jedi VHS, and I think it was $89 at that point. Yeah. And that lasted for a couple of years until people started figuring out that they could buy more than one VCR and make copies of things, and then they came up with Copy Guard, where you couldn't of uh, copy a VHS tape onto another VCR because the signal was somehow scrambled. And, but then they came up with a copy guard eliminator. It was like the fuzz buster, right? And I had all this shit. But the point is, if you were taping off television, it was free. And if you bought two VCRs, then what it cost you to make a, a copy tape was whatever the blank tape cost. And we talked about this in 79 and 80. You had to go to the mall and they were 25 bucks a piece, but then you could order from New York and get a case of 10 and it got down to $12 or whatever. Point I'm making is wrestling has always been a business that figured out a way to do shit on a shoestring. And in hindsight now, yes, the major movie releases and the porn was $89 because there was duplication and then there was fucking packaging and then there was goddamn, you know, probably some, all kinds of fees had to be paid between the studio and the production, whatever, and then you got to retail a thing in stores. But I know for a fact you can do this because we were doing it in Ohio Valley Wrestling in fucking 2001. Danny Davis bought... 50 or 100, I can't remember how many he had at one point in time, hooked up. Cheap at the time VCRs that were down to $99 and had them wired up where they were all slaves to one master unit and he could make multiple copies of our TV tapings on VHS in an hour, right? Run it once and you got 50 or 75 or however many he had wired up copies. You can't tell me that Vince McMahon and or actually Vern Gagne, because think of his geographic territory and the big cities he had, or even the Von Eriks in 1983, as hot as they were, if one of those wrestling promotions had said, hey, wrestling fans, here's a two-hour tape of your favorite wrestlers in these main event matches in the Philadelphia Spectrum or Madison Square Garden or Reunion Arena in Dallas or the St. Paul Civic Center, wherever it may be, two hours this for 
and they get they buy a hundred VCRs and they got them and they get a fucking price on a thousand tapes. How many just on commercials on their programs in New York and Philly and Boston or Dallas, Texas or Chicago or Minneapolis, major cities, you would have sold thousands because it was novel and brand new. And it would have been targeted specifically to those territories audiences. But the promoters did not understand. And and to be honest, when I got into business, I figured out why. Because at that time, almost no wrestlers had VCRs because they never watched television to begin with. They were gone from 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning every day of the week in a car. And they just, and, and Danny Davis, my partner in OVW, was an early example of of a wrestler that got a vcr specifically to tape the shows his matches and the shows that he was on and we ended up trading back and forth because the jackson show had the memphis coliseum matches so he'd tape his at home and blah 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 but a lot of the guys they just you know they and and the promoters especially they didn't realize what was going on this was a, a they thought nobody's going to actually want to do this in any large numbers, have VCRs and tape shit in their house. So they lost several years there at the front when they could have capitalized. How do you think it would have done in 1983 if Memphis had put out something at the height of the fabulous ones or 82, 83, and also in 86, if Crockett had been better prepared with, Let's say there were three VHS releases that year that you could have sold at shows. Would they have sold? Was there enough yes. of the audience that had a VCR? Well, in, by 1986, yeah. my God, yes. There were people that had VCRs. And also, you know, that was when, for example, Starcade 86, right? They went through Turner Home Entertainment to release that. So it, it wasn't a do-it-yourself type of thing like I'm talking about. They actually would have come out better that way. But the uh, the the Starcade 86 tape through Turner Home Entertainment was the first wrestling video, and I was told this by people from Turner Home Entertainment. So it wasn't like there's, ah, oh, that fucking Vince, they don't fucking know. Said this is the first wrestling video to go gold. And Vince had done a, a few at that point. That was our first one. And that's why, you know, we were supposed to get royalties. And for about a year, year and a half, a year, year and a half, every couple of weeks I'd knock on Jimmy Crockett's door after promos at the office and say, Jimmy, heard anything on those royalties yet? Nope, we'll let you know. And then finally, about the time we signed that new contract in spring of 88, for that ridiculous guaranteed money, I just said, fuck it, we'll just stop asking. So we never got, because he he got in, by the time that they started getting the checks on that, that's when he'd got in trouble. We never got any royalties on that fucking tape. But it's uh, a million in those days was what? Or is it has it changed? 50,000 units? I'm not sure how many units I can look it up, but again, that would have not been on sale until 1987. We're talking about... Right. A little bit before that. Yeah, well, and, and that's that's what I'm saying. When the, the As hot as the Rock and Roll Express were, as hot as Dusty and Magnum were, or the Road Warriors or whatever, if Crockett had just done a compilation tape and sold it through mail order, through spots on his 
televisions only where he already had commercial time. The Rock and Roll Express fan club generated seven figures at like, what was it, $19.99 a piece. You got a life-size poster, a fan club bulletin, the Boogie Woogie Dance Hall 45 RPM single, and everybody's best wishes for that fan club. And they generated over a million dollars at $19.99 a piece. I understand Ricky and Robert got about, what, 35 cents per member, correct? Well, some I don't, I don't know. The, I, I heard they got about 20 grand a piece on either one uh, for everything. So it generated seven figures, and they got about 20 grand a piece. I don't know what that breaks down to per member. but And see, that's something, if they'd applied themselves that Crockett already was set up to do, and he didn't realize it, he'd set up the concept. The way that they duplicated their television shows, and this is primitive as fuck, but remember this is 40 years ago, and it actually is a way that, you know, small budget promotions operated like this in-house up until the time territories went away, and OVW did after that. <laughs> Let's say we, we go to Gaffney, South Carolina on a Tuesday night, and we do the syndicated television taping at the college gym there in Gaffney. It's 60 miles from Charlotte, so it's about an hour drive. They they own their own television truck, the Nemo truck, National Electronics Mobile Operation. They drive the, the truck an hour down to one of these high school or college gyms around Charlotte. They set up the lights. They wire everything. They run the cables. They shoot two hours of television. NWA Worldwide and NWA Pro. And that goes from 7.30 to 10 o'clock. And they, each show, they roll live to tape. And, you know, if they're going to put a VTR in, they roll it in in the truck. They leave black holes for the commercial spots and for the local promos. Then they drive the truck back to fucking Charlotte. And they park it back behind the office at Briarbend. And they take the two master tapes in. And remember old Leonard, the guy that did the night work there that alerted me that they were throwing away the entire film archive of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling when Turner Broadcasting took over and bought everything. Leonard would put the daggum tapes on. And the, I don't know how many they could make at the same time. but And this was the old one-inch video reels, right? So it, it, you can imagine, you got to fucking unroll those and put them on the sp spool and fucking zabada and get them all synced up and everything. And then he would hit the button and they would make multiple duplicates of that master tape at one time. And then he'd do nothing all night, but just run them back and copy the tapes over and over. However many they could make at a time, times however many. Because Wednesday morning... About nine o'clock, Gene Anderson would be in there with the uh, with Jackie Crockett on camera, and all the top babyface and heels would come in and do local promos from nine o'clock in the morning until three, four o'clock sometimes. And then you'd immediately hop in the car and drive three hours to Raleigh or go to the airport to fly somewhere, whatever the fuck. But what they would do, honest to God, is it, they would sink. The tape uh, for, let's say, Philadelphia, um, 
uh, we got local promos to do for Philadelphia because we got a show coming up at the Civic Center. So whatever tape was going to the TV station in Philadelphia, they would reel it up to the exact point of the babyface interview segment that needed to be inserted. And we'd record those goddamn interviews on the tape that was actually going to the TV station. And as soon as we did that interview, then they'd jump ahead to the fucking heel segment in, you know, in between segs five and six or whatever. And they'd do the two minute and 28 second interview for there. The interviews were 228 because they left a second to get in and a second to get out. Elsewise, they're rolling over fucking program, right? Once that the Philly interviews were done, that tape was done. They'd stick it back in the case, put a label on it. And whether Klondike Bill or Bunk Harris, whoever the fuck that day wasn't going to get chicken at Price's Chicken Coop for lunch, they would take the tapes to the bus station and put them on a bus to the television station in the city that was going to air it that weekend. So it went out on Wednesday evening and it got there on Thursday because they'd back then. Brian, what year did Federal Express start? Oh, I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you. I bet you there was no Federal Express in 1986, if you want to look it up while I'm rambling. 86? I would think there was. Hold on, let me check. Oh, well, just see, but the point is they had been doing that. A lot of promotions did it. They They would put posters and flyers for sponsors in small towns. They'd put them on a bus in those days. They'd put the TV tape on a bus. The only reason they didn't do that in Louisville is because Teeny came up here every week. She'd have the tape in the trunk of her car. And she would exchange, she'd get the last week's and give them next week's. FedEx, which we used to call Federal Express, right, started in 1971. 71? I don't believe it. I never heard of them. All right, when did, when did Express Mail from the post office start? Jesus Christ. I, hold on. I'll be right back. <laughs> well, anyway, and they used to have a thing also called Delta Dash. Where before these overnight services were just common in every city in America, like if Flair forgot his belt or or something was needed from the home base for a pay-per-view or, or earlier than that for a TV taping or whatever the case, there's been many times that the NWA belt would be Delta dashed to a location, meaning somebody where the belt was and they did this uh, on in TNA, too, even 20 years ago. Somebody left the belt. But wherever the belt was, they would take it and put it in a box and take it to the airport, and they would put it on a Delta plane. And back then, 40 years ago, the plane tickets cost basically the same thing they do now. Plane tickets, for whatever reason, haven't gotten appreciably more expensive, probably because it's more miserable to travel. Uh, but you could Delta Dash something for like $99 and it would go on a plane and and somebody had to pick it up at baggage claim at the other end. And sometimes every once in a while in an emergency, a TV tape would go that route also. But nevertheless. An update here. Special delivery was transformed into express mail in 1977 and priority mail started in 1968. I would not have thought those things were that old. But nevertheless, that's what they would do is they would roll these interviews into the actual tape that was going to the TV station that weekend. There was no 
post-production per se in terms of, okay, we're going to shoot all these interviews and we're going to slate them and then we're going to go back and insert them into blah, blah, blah. No, that's why, that's another reason why the the local interviews uh, for most territories and even Crockett's as big as he was, they don't exist anywhere else except in tapes of the television program that aired in that specific market. So when you see these local promos with Tony Schiavone and the the orange background or sometimes the blue background they had and and the Chiron tonight Charlotte tonight Greenville or Chicago whatever the case from Crockett Promotions that has to be off the actual air broadcast of that television program that weekend because they didn't exist anywhere else. But what were we talking about? We were talking about Howard Finkel and his love of pornography. Howard Finkel and his love of pornography led us to a 30-minute dissertation on video and wrestling. But yes, so that's the point I was going to make, thankfully, now that I've beat around the bush and remembered it. Crockett was already doing a mass duplication uh, in effect of his in-house of his TV programs. If he'd applied the same thing to putting together a home video and just bought the VCRs and done everything there at the office himself, there were thousands of people in these buildings every night. If they just sold 25 tapes that they made $20 on every night, right? There's $500 times seven nights a week is $3,500 times sometimes two shows per night most of the time there would be so and then every week and that's if you sold 20 what do you think in greensboro there's eight or ten thousand people in the coliseum and here is the best of the road warriors for 29.95 how many of them you think they would have sold when there was no other wrestling tapes on the market to compete with it in stores at that time and and if you got wrestling tapes you had to get them from people that actually fucking traded them to you. If when the Rock and Roll Express first came in, in 85, if there had been a compilation video and probably half hour at the most, and again, sold at a competitive price for the time, were there enough girls that would pay that money to get it? Good God. The the $19.99 fan club grossed over a million dollars. So... If you could have just taken a video of Robert Gibson's dick and sold it for $50, you'd have had a gold fucking release just from the girls in the Carolinas. As a matter of fact, just sell one to every girl in the Carolinas that had seen Robert Gibson's dick, and it would have gone gold. I'd like to say hello to the Gibson family if they're listening today. <laughs> Pensacola. Happy that- or Pepsi-Cola. One of the, this girl that used to send me clippings and results from Knoxville back in the mid 70s she loved the Gibson brothers right and then they they left the territory and it was announced on TV that you know gone back home or whatever she wrote me said yeah they've gone back to Pepsi Cola Florida <laughs> well it was right down the road from RC County an orange knee high, orange knee high way. RC Cola is the most disgusting shit ever. But listen, you're laughing about this whole ordeal. Listen, 
you're laughing about this whole ordeal. But this young woman obviously missed her Gibson brothers. And perhaps out of that loss, she needed someone to speak to. If she was a listener of this program way back in the mid-70s, she would know that there was someone that she could speak to. If she was listening to this program in the mid-70s, she had a time machine because this format was not created. And actually, you were only a gleam in your father's eye at that point, as Mother, Mother Cornette used to say. But I'll tell you what, here's the problem, Brian. Here is the problem. A lot of people, and this, this goes for the wrestling business and it goes for everybody personally out there. A lot of people get stuck focusing on problems instead of solutions. How can we correct this situation? How might it go better with a different outlook or a different approach? Or what can we do to be proactive to make this thing better, alleviate whatever crisis it may be? As a lot of people out there dwelling on problems, not a lot of solution dwellers out there. And that's, you know, one of our sponsors for so long has been the folks at BetterHelp. And they're experts in communicating and communication. And it can be tough to train your brain to stay in the problem-solving mode when you're the one that the, the avalanche is coming down off the top of the mountain. It's landing on you. So therefore, sometimes you need to talk to somebody, bounce some ideas off someone, or have them suggest things that may make your situation better. That's what therapy is. And that's why so many people have benefited from talking to somebody at BetterHelp. They unload their stress and kind of heal emotionally. They, they get help with anxiety and depression from somebody else's outlook that may be focused on a way to make things better instead of the things that are going wrong. As a matter of fact, now that I've said all those things, I think we ought to, you and I, Brian, go in 50-50 on a subscription for all the folks in AEW for better help. But in the meantime, for the Cult of Coordinate listeners out there, if you're thinking about giving therapy a try... Why do we have to pay for that? Well, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, well, we should still be charitable to the folks at AEW because they're not long for this world, heaven's sake. Anyway, the folks at BetterHelp are convenient, accessible, affordable, and the whole thing is conducted entirely online, so no messy going out in an uncertain world and potentially contagious diseases flitting around about out there. It's, you don't have to mess with any of that. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists anytime you like. So if you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there and the fine folks at betterhelp.com slash JCE can help facilitate that. And if you go there right now, you'll get 10% off your first month's services. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash J-C-E. Solve the problems. Don't dwell on them. Solve them. Tap dance on them. Do a Tennessee two-step on those problems. Those problems will not know what hit them. Well, Jim, let's power on here with the drive-thru. Our next question, sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com, is from Sarabian Ross. My Wait, what? What? I believe that the would Arabian be... Arabian Nights? What did you just say? Sarabian Ross. Sarabian, can you can you put that in the form of a sentence or spell it? S A R A 
B-I-A-N. Well, it's obviously Sarabian. Well, this is Sarabian Ross's question. What a cool name. My question is about Mildred Burke. Now, wait Burke. a minute. Is his first name Ross and he is a Sarabian? Means a person who Sarabs? Or conducts Sarabosity? No, I think his name is Sarabian Ross. I don't think so it's... So first name Sarabian, last name Ross. There's no comma separating the two, so that wouldn't... There's nothing that would indicate that this is... Well, no, one. it's like if you, you know, Plumber Moxley. Sarabian Ross. But what's a Sarabian? He, he's a person who engages in Sarabian. What's that? He's a Sarabian. A custodian is in charge of the custody of things. So why shouldn't a Sarabian be in charge of the Sarabia of, of things? What is a Sarabia? Well, Brian, I'm not here to be a goddamn English professor. If you don't know all these things, where's you your, need... It's, where's your uh, Webster's Dictionary over there, whatever you have? Well, hold on. Let's see how close we can get since you just... <laughs> <laughs> may be able to save this bit somehow and give it a fucking happy ending. Oh, I, I doubt uh, that. Shoulder blade, shallot, doubt that. sensitive. Now, you say S-A. S-A-R-A. S-A-R-A-B. Scrappy is here. Scroll S-A-R. Sacrament. We're getting close. <laughs> Sagittarius. Salvage. San Jose. Do you know the way over there to San Jose? Sapien. Sapphire. She was a nice lady. Uh, let's see here. Sardonic. I've gone too far. Saran, Sarajevo, is uh, the capital of Bosnia, Herzegovina. Herzegovina. Well, you do and you'll clean it up. Um, Saracen, sapsucker. Here's one. That's not there. Well, you sapsucker. It sure is a small American woodpecker that drills holes in trees to feed on sap and insects. I have a number of sap suckers around here on the grounds. So, Cerebim, Seraphim, what what are we looking for? Once again, S-A-R-A-B-I-A-N. Well, apparently he's a fake. There's no such thing. I think this is a real so name. Let's finally get to his question here. He did have a question. And his question is about Mildred Burke. I've noticed you mention Mildred Burke sometimes while you talk about women's wrestling, saying, quote, well, she's not the second coming of Mildred Burke. <laughs> Can you please share your thoughts on Corny's drive through about what makes Mildred so special? Thank you, Mr. I, Cornette. I love your podcast. Well, thank you, Seraphim. Seraphim. Um, well, and his, and his, and his nights. Um... I guess I could say Cora Livingston, but that would be a little, you know, uh, uh, obscure for the modern day audience. Mildred Burke has had a resurgence in popularity thanks to the NWA naming a tournament after her and et cetera, et cetera. No, it's just, it's like, it's a brand name. It's like Kleenex, right? Or if, if Babe Ruth is a baseball player, if you, hey, it's Babe Ruth, she was the first widely known, mainstream, attention-getting, headline-making, uh, money-drawing, money-making world, women's world champion in wrestling. And she was also, by 
whatever everybody's account is legitimate in that she could take most, if not all of the girls that she worked with and did on a regular basis, beat men in shoots, right? As long as there was a somewhat of a size parameter going on. So it's just, you know, the second coming of Mildred Burke is like, is that a, as a baseball player, is the second coming of Mickey Mantle or fucking Babe Ruth or whatever the case. I don't know that Mildred Burke was the worker that, uh, you know, some ladies have, uh, have become in the modern era since work has been polished since the 30s, 40s, and 50s. But has there been until the modern era of the last 20 or 25 years where everything's blown up and become worldwide and global, has there been a more important or more mainstream name in women's wrestling, Brian, than Mildred Burke was in her time between the late 30s and the mid-50s? Domestically, no. Obviously, Japan's a whole different story because well, yeah. culturally it became a whole different thing there for several well, years. Well, we ain't doing this podcast in Sapporo either, so... You know, that's why I make these references. It's either her or Mula, and Mula, it's more about longevity and name than it is any classic matches or any good behavior, maybe. Well, yeah, cases. well, no, but and let's not jump on poor Mula. She was always nice to me. What a, just a distinguished Southern accent. But no, it, Mula, for the modern audience, because as we just saw with the WrestleMania biography, she lasted through all the reasons she lasted uh, to the mid 80s and to hand off the, you know, women's wrestling title to someone else after Vince bought it from her. But the the time period that she was on top, that 30 years, was in no way was women's wrestling as high profile as it was during the Mildred Burke days, nor was Moolah as high profile as Mildred Burke was. And part of it was because of the the fact that from the 30s to the 50s, if you were a big main event wrestling star as, as a champion, the world champion, either male or female, you were a national star in effect because the newspapers carried everything. There was no television. There was radio, and they did the same thing the newspapers did. They carried everything. And she drew money. She was placed in main event positions and and earned it. Whereas by the time Moolah came around, she was supplying not only herself, but other female talent to the territories. And even the world women's champion was no longer, you know, a mainstream news story. And she didn't make headlines in papers if women's wrestling was used as an attraction on the card in the territories on an intermittent basis and moolah was the champion because she was the boss so i mean moolah has plenty of uh you know positives to the fact that she was able to run that business and stay on top for so long and blah 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 and negatives as far as how she did it and or her work and or keeping more athletic women from stealing the spotlight, but still at that point in time, women's wrestling was not going to be as big as it was in the thirties through the fifties. Men's wrestling through a lot of that time was not as big as it was, especially in the early fifties with network television. So still more people knew who Mildred Burke was 
during the time in the United States, during the time that she was active, then I would think since then anybody has been able to say the name of a women's wrestler until, as I mentioned, the last 20 years with network TV and the internet. So that's what it is. Just like, honest to God, if you, and I know people go, well, bullshit. In his day, Jim Londos was as well-known a name in the United States of America as any football player or baseball player active today is known. Because he was in all the newspapers in every city in the country every time he had a big match. And so I'm just talking name recognition. What about I'm Strangler Lewis? Strangler Lewis the same way. During the time that he was on top, if you asked anybody in the United States, name a professional wrestler, Strangler Lewis would have been probably the first name out of their mouth. And most people would have, in the United States, wrestling fan or not, would have been able to name him. Just like I've never been to the moon, but I know that Neil Armstrong has. And I know that name because of that. So that that's the point I'm making is that now there's there's a, you know worldwide television and the internet and YouTube and you can see all these people and blah blah blah, but fewer people overall in this country know the name of current wrestlers than in those days when they were national figures, and everybody at least knew their name. They may have never probably had never seen them in person, and probably had never seen anything but a photograph because of the the time period maybe a newsreel in the in the movie theaters but they knew who the fuck they were and nobody can compete with that in wrestling today all right jim well, our next question sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from julian in london how do you feel about aew keeping eddie kingston suspension quiet is it best if discipline like this is kept behind closed doors or does the punishment fall flat if no one hears about it? If the only punishment is being kept off TV for two weeks, <laughs> it seems like that is happening to FTR on a regular basis. And that's the question. Oh, that, that was the end of the, okay. I guess um, he's saying that if that's the punishment, it seems like a lot well, of guys yeah, are punished. Yeah, I mean, punished. you know, then half the roster is suspended on a regular basis because they go away. We don't see them for weeks. Um, and I get part of the, part of the, the, the suspension was secret until the guy that was suspended said, well, my suspension is up. And then, so they don't tell you when people are hurt, uh, unless it comes out somehow. They don't tell you when people are suspended because they've done that a couple of times now, unless it, unless the, suspender or the suspendee one of the other mentions it out in public i again i think it was kind of a token thing because what the fuck is a suspension for two weeks off television in aew when most people aren't on tv every week anyway except daniel garcia can he please goddamn do something to get suspended for a week or two just so they can do anything without him the forrest gump of fucking aew I mean, it was, I guess they had to do something because Eddie tried to pie face Sammy when Eddie met Sammy. Um, 
But I mean, really, you know, the other suspensions that we have been talking about over the last several days obviously are a little more serious and a little more legitimate. And I think this was just, well, you know, Eddie, you can't be trying to pop face Sammy. So we're just going to leave you off TV for a week or two. Well, beyond Eddie Kingston. He might not have been on anyway. Beyond Eddie Kingston, the idea of suspending a professional wrestler, if the suspension is indeed a paid suspension and you're just sent home, or even if you're not paid and you're just sent home and you come back in a couple of weeks, should it be announced? Is it something that should be said to the public, whether it's Eddie Kingston or CM Punk? Well, I got a, a, a suspension with pay is called a vacation, isn't it? Because I, I was upset when the Midnight Express and I were in WCW and being misused. We were getting our weekly check for less work than we had ever done. But the work that we were doing, that we was doing, the work that we were doing was detrimental to our image. We were getting beat all the time. We've been putting preliminary matches. We were, you know, treated like fucking field hands, as Jim Ross would say. So if if they had ever said, we'll send you your check and you don't have to show up at all to do these jobs and to fucking look like idiots and for us to tear down what you've spent the past five years building up in the eyes of the public. I would have loved that. I was only unhappy because we were getting paid and still had to go to fucking work and do that shit. So if I, I understand everybody wants to be on television, but if you suspend somebody with pay, that's a fucking vacation. That's not punishment. So getting back to the question, I you it seems like if someone is being disciplined for doing something that yeah you kind of should have to tell people well so and so's being disciplined for doing something if the thing that they did they're being disciplined for gets out in public if it doesn't I can see that being private but then when the person that was disciplined is the person that said yeah they suspended me a couple weeks ago cuz I Fucking took a swing at Sammy. Well, then that kind of that maybe he ought to be suspended for two more weeks for telling people that he sus- got suspended to begin with, because nobody heard about the fucking deal until he does. So, so Kingston was. Now that I'm working through this in my head, Kingston was punished for taking a swing or trying to pie face Sammy by being sent home for two weeks off of shows that he may or may not have been on to begin with. He ended up working the pay-per-view pre-show against the Japanese baked potato, Ishii, which he'd probably rather work with him than Sammy anyway, because they don't like each other. And then he told everybody that he was suspended because he tried to pie-face Sammy, but it was my fault. So I'm not sure what the punishment was there. I'm not saying they have to come out and say, okay, so-and-so, you know, pissed in somebody's boot and we had to suspend them for two weeks over it, right? I'm not saying if nobody knows that the boot was filled with piss, why bring it out in public? But at least the, the owner of the boot will feel better that the pisser in the boot got suspended over it. But uh, if that's if that's two weeks, what do you get for hitting one of the Jacksons with a chair? Well, now that's a whole nother time frame. Um, are we going to call him One-Eyed Jackson from now on? K.O. Jackson. Knocked out Jackson. 
Why is it? Why is he squinting? Oh, I, he's just his face is half of it's closed up. That was Dennis Condry's favorite interview line. When he did, Dennis Condry was a heck of a promo. He'd say, son, I'm going to take your face. I'm going to open what's closed and close what's open. Maybe you didn't like it as much as I did. Well, I'm sorry. I'm trying to find some questions here to entertain uh-huh. the yeah. many, many, many hundreds of thousands of listeners. Well, the here time to of... do that would have been a couple of hours ago. You're probably right about that. But, Jim, here's one. I'm going to read you one. And then I'm going to make a comment after this. We've received several about this or in this vein. This was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Robert. What if it's this? CM Punk tells Tony before the scrum, dude, I'm hurt. I know it. I'm going to be out a while. I'll tick everyone off in the presser. Make the EVPs and you look bad. Maybe the EVPs even fight me. You'll have to suspend me and take the belt off me. So I asked this one. This is one of many with the idea that this whole thing is a work. So I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are about it being a work and then... I guess to show the brilliance of the mind of Jim Cornette, if it is a work, how do we put it all together? How do we deconstruct this? <laughs> okay, well, no, I ain't that brilliant. Because it's not a work, and you can't put this together where anybody benefits in any way whatsoever if it is a work. If it was a work, is what I should say. Uh, no, again, from the Montreal screw job to the whatever. Everybody wants to think that everything in wrestling is a work because 98% of everything or 99 or whatever the overwhelming statistic is, is a work. But I think now people are trying to figure out a way to justify this in their own mind as being a work because it's so ridiculous. But that's the thing. Much as in wrestling, you can find a, a a top guy and you can put him over and you can give him wins and you can give him TV time or whatever, but a superstar, the magic has to happen with the people, right? It, you know, you can push him all day long, but Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock ha- has to happen because of the people. And generally that's accidental. And you don't book it that way. It, it You know, Austin 316 says, I just kicked your ass. Or, you know, if you smell what the rock is cooking, because fuck you for die, Rocky, die, or whatever. Some, you, they, none of these things were intentional. The screw job wasn't intentional. It was seen as something that they had to get, get over with and get past, and now they can't get past it 25 years later. It's the biggest thing still they've ever done. So you don't book those things. And in the same way, Anything this ridiculous in the wrestling business, I promise you, was not pre-planned by all parties. Now, some party may have had a thought, well, if such and such happens, I'd do this or whatever. But no, none of this was planned. Obviously, it was. if it was, it was the most poorly conceived and thought out and implemented fucking work in recorded history let's play devil's advocate okay we have not seen any photos or anything of anyone with any injuries coming out of this fight we've only heard stories about it all anyone has is stories 
What if this is all the buildup CM Punk and FTR versus Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks? <laughs> what better buildup? The man behind the pipe bomb. The kids behind Cucamonga. I don't know what they're behind. <laughs> they all get the together. Eight, the the eight ball right now is what they're behind. The greatest work shoot of all time. What do you uh, think? Well, and then you're giving guest referee Colt Cabana. <laughs> Then you're given a number of simpletons involved in this credit for being able to conceive this and or pull it off. And also, again, for what business I'm I'm an FTR fan and I love me some punk. And there's no way that punk and FTR versus the Bucks and Olivier with Larry is special referee, and Luthez is going to stretch the losers on pay-per-view. That still wouldn't draw enough money to make the goddamn justification for fucking up your world title picture, taking your fucking top stars out of your open of your show, suspending them, taking them off advanced advertising of places they're going to be, taking statements, having attorneys burning up telephone lines. You could have mega, no. you could have mega in a shark cage above the ring. <laughs> yeah, mega in a shark cage above the ring. Special guest timekeeper Topher. But then you know what she's going to do? Every lawyer carries a ballpoint pen. She's going to drop the pen through the bars of the shark cage, and somebody's going to get stuck in the eye with it. No, it's 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 not a work. Bless y'all. Please get hobbies. Unfortunately, this isn't a work. This is. Huh, apparently as legitimate as now it, the one thing that what was the the caller's name that asked this question oh i actually don't have the email in front of me anymore. well well okay little robert little i think McGee. was the email tits mcgee was. over there that asked the question i believe it was robert not tits mcgee the, well robert mcgee or or tits robert i don't know or barack hussein from the previous administration or um, arabian from the previous email well there you go I, I, rem I remembered it was something began with a B. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is I can believe that Punk, after that match, he's already bleeding. He's hurt some element of his arm. I've, I've heard triceps is what we've heard now. He's fucking frustrated anyway because he's just been off for an injury and he's had to suffer through sitting and listening to the whisper campaign and all the, the rumor mill about what he was pissed about and his boss has done nothing about it. And he's the only thing to make him smile is he's got a tasty muffin in front of him. And I would think that he probably at that point saw all of the, I'm going to try to say this with a straight face, the journalists I I wonder how many people in that room actually went to journalism school. And I'll give Uncle Dave that. He went to school for it. He didn't go to the school of common sense, but he knows how to write. Um, But I wonder how many of them went to school for journalism or how many of them just got free tickets because they're publicity machines. And he decided to say a few things that had been troubling him and get a few things off his chest i can believe that that much that may have been pre-planned by the time he walked in there he was like well you know i got the chance to say to all these people that have been printing all this shit from the 
the buckaroos camp, I got a chance to make a point here to all of them and say some things that I, apparently I'm the one that's going to have to say because it's not coming from the owner and leader and manipulator of the company. So I'm going to have to do it on my own. I can believe that. Otherwise, everybody else pretty much was reacting to what they heard. And if it's a work, where does it start? Does it start with Punk and Cabana in 2013 saying, hey, I got an idea. If a billionaire comes around yeah. in 10 years, we're set. <laughs> it's all part of the plan, Smithers. All right, Jim. Well, before we get into any more of this uh, AEW drama stuff, and there is more to talk about, more questions, let me ask you another question here. This was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com. Uh, for me and not public, they do not want their name read on the air. I would like to ask, as I work for a UK promotion, the World Association of Wrestling, owned and promoted by Ricky Knight, who you may know is the father of now former WWE star Paige, who several years ago, Ricky Knight uh, was telling me and a few other. Okay, this okay is now this sounds like it's worded in an unwieldy fashion, but I will, for the record, submit that, yes, I know the Knight family. Um, Paige, obviously, is the most famous member, but the Knights, and uh, what's her mother's name? Soraya? Um, she had, uh, they've been wrestling over there for quite some time. Let me try to put this back together into English, and again, the Queen just passed, so I can understand people being upset. Yeah, it's it's a tough time for everybody around the world. Several years ago, Ricky Knight told me and a few other people a story about he and his tag team partner, Jimmy Ocean, collectively known as the Superflies here in the UK, who were known for starting riots by being heels in venues all over the country. Ricky said that you contacted him and Jimmy to come work with the Rock and Roll Express for your promotion, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, in the United oh, States. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. As the story continued... It was apparently a done deal, and at the last minute, one of them did not have a valid passport and did not make the trip and flight you apparently paid for. <laughs> After being a longtime fan of pro wrestling, before becoming a wrestler, and eventually working for WAW, which I no longer do, which is why I'd like to remain anonymous, I've also been a longtime listener to both podcasts featuring yourself and Brian, so I finally decided to ask once and for all. Is it true? <laughs> or as we say in England, a load of bollocks. Well, back the truck up. I got some bollocks for you. Um, I, I hate this. You know, we do not, folks, we don't prep these questions. And I don't want to start a blood feud with another wrestling family in the world. But no. I And I honestly, I don't know. If in 1993, I had any idea who, and this was obviously Ricky Knight Sr., because the son wrestles currently, right? So he's... Oh, I don't know. What if, I don't know if I, in 1993, knew this family existed. Um, And I'm not saying that to be mean. That's been quite a while ago. Uh, Paige has brought significant attention to him but as i mentioned i think her mother wrestled as sweet soraya and that was a name that was on the british wrestling scene but i didn't know that this guy and had his partner and they had all these riots and a blah 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 i've never 
in the entire history of Smoky Mountain Wrestling tried to book anybody from England, not because I didn't like anybody from England, but because, well, two things. If you book somebody from England, you got to bring them to fucking Knoxville. And that's expensive. And secondly, goddamn, I had enough trouble getting one fucking Canadian work papers, much less trying to, uh, yeah, with Lance Storm, Jericho had dual citizenship. I was not going to open up a can of peas with trying to get a visa for a guy from England. I did. I mean, it's a great story to tell your mates on how you almost made it to something somewhere, but no. All right. Do you, uh-huh. think, do you think a British heel tag team would have gotten over in East Tennessee? Well, yeah, actually, At depending that point. on who it was, yeah. I remember what George Barnes and Bill Dundee got over like and did here. Um, what this guy said in 1993, okay, 18 years previously, in 1975, they got an incredible amount of heat because they had a different style. They had the accents. Barnes especially did a surly interview. Uh, Dundee wasn't the big talker back then. It was Barnes. And the way they worked and the way they talked and the accents and the different look, they got immense heat and carried the territory. That was the six months they were here was the first six months that Lawler had been exiled at that point in time. And they carried the territory for the time they were here until Barnes got homesick. So point being, yes, a team from that part of the world or with a different style cocky, arrogant heels that could talk, could have got over in East Tennessee. I don't know if that's these guys, because I've still yet to this day seen them. So there you go. All right, Jim, our next question sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Rob in Cleveland. Ohio or Tennessee? It does not specify here. I am currently listening to your review of A&E's biography of the first WrestleMania, I was wondering what would have happened if Vince's gamble failed and WWF did go under. Who would have filled the vacuum in the New York Northeast market? What would have been Crockett and Watts' next move? Where would have Vince ended up? So there's a lot of different ways that we could just go with the start with the very basic one. What if WrestleMania didn't work? What happens next immediately? Well, it's interesting because... Nobody knows how far Vince was extended. I mean, you know, and the story has always been, well, I bankrolled everything on on WrestleMania, and Stephanie said that he had mortgaged everything her parents owned was the way that she said it. And, you know, here's the thing. Even if WrestleMania failed, he was still the owner and operator of the largest wrestling territory in the country and the towns were still doing well they were going to boston garden and doing 10 12,000 people or 15,000 or whatever philadelphia um it he would have cut down obviously or eliminated the idea of national expansion because especially in he didn't do well in Texas for years or the Carolinas. We've talked about it, Tennessee, the places with strong territories. He didn't do well in some other places out in the Midwest and West, you know, at some points just because he wasn't established out there yet. 
but he did have he had all the northeast markets he had los angeles that was doing well so i don't think it's an all or nothing i think if wrestlemania had failed and he had a lot of debt that he needed to pay off he still had immense cash flow from all those shows that were running you know all over the place and he would have i'm sure tightened up and or eliminated anything out of his territory or anything that wasn't making a at least a halfway decent profit on house shows or anything else i don't know that it would have been possible for him to lose enough money to go out of business when brian you're more financially oriented than minded than i am but when you've got a company that's doing that kind of cash flow and selling that kind of tickets just at its regular shows, not a pay-per-view or WrestleMania or extravaganza, and you're as smart and or crafty as Vince, you mean to tell me if you lose $5 million one day and you've still got that company operating, you can't make that cash flow last until you can figure out another way out of it? You're about to be on NBC. That was in the works already around this period yeah. of time. Action figures are in the works around this period of time. New revenue flow. You got lots of merchandise. Even if it completely bombed, even if it only did good in a few markets. First thing you would do is cut down on shows. We talked about the other day. He was running four shows. He had the biggest roster of all time because he was just taking everyone he could. That would probably stop. And then you'd have a real interesting thing where you had a ton of unemployed wrestlers all at once in 1985. Yeah. But I think he would have been able to Which may have saved some of the secondary territories. That that kind of talent getting free all at the same time may have saved some of the secondary territories. I guess that's one of the big things right there. If WrestleMania bombs, I don't know if Vince just goes away and New York is up for grabs, or if it just means it levels the playing field for a little bit longer. Yeah. I th- and And somebody also, I saw on Twitter... And maybe we did just gloss over this. We assume that everybody knows everything. But you know what happens when you assume, Brian? You make an ass out of you and me. Somebody said, well, what was the million dollars from Inoki? Because we mentioned that on the... Not only had Vince gotten a million dollar payment from Crockett for the TBS time slot that he was able to sell before he got forced out of it because... The TBS fans had, uh, you know, rejected WWF wrestling and he had made a deal with Turner to produce the program as they always did in their studio, which he wasn't doing. So they wanted him off. So he sold it to Crockett for a million dollars. But somewhere around the same time frame is when he renewed his talent booking arrangement with Antonio Inoki, because Baba's company, All Japan, had traditionally always had the, the not only the best pick of American wrestlers, but all of the NWA and really AWA guys locked up if they went to well, Japan, AWA they went after Baba. After IWE went out of business, AWA. Yeah, and when, well, and what was that? Was that 19... 19- yeah so this time period because that's what it would there were three promotions for the for the newer younger listeners for the for you babies out there there were three promotions during most of the 70s in japan 
All Japan with Giant Baba, who had the Funks as their American bookers and generally got all the NWA talent because of Baba's relationships previously with all the NWA promoters. Inoki, who got the WWWF talent because it was the highest profile American talent that was not uh, obviously affiliated or contracted with the NWA. And sometimes there was movement back and forth. The IWE, International Wrestling Enterprises, was the third promotion, and they had a deal with Ganya to send AWA talent until, Brian, as you said, they, they went out of business, and then Baba picked up the AWA guys also. But that's the point. Enoki also used luchadors from Mexico. He used the English and the, the British wrestlers and, and Germans because he only had mostly uh, uh, WWWF guys to pick from. But he renewed his booking agreement, talent booking agreement, with Vince Jr. right before WrestleMania, and that was a million dollars that Vince took in in order to finance the big show. Primarily to have access to Hogan and Andre, as well as others, but primarily Hogan and right. Andre. And that's actually, just to tie it into the wrestling war going on and Hogan jumping in 83 to the WWF, that was another issue between him and Vern. Hogan had a deal to go to New Japan, and everyone else in the AWA, for the most part, would go to BABA, and I think Vern wanted to take control of Hogan's Japan bookings if he was going to make him the world champion, and Hogan was not going to let Vern get anywhere near his Japanese yeah. bookings. <laughs> because Hulkamania was alive and well in, in Japan before it started over here. The, he was already over. They loved his ass. And I get that's kind of a tit for tat type of thing. Bruno, all those years that Bruno Sammartino yeah. was the WWWF champion, even when Vince Sr. had arrangements with Anoki, Bruno would never go to Japan for Anoki because of his personal loyalty to Giant Baba, who they'd worked together in the early 60s when they were both starting out. And so Bruno, whenever he went to Japan, and it wasn't often, he didn't need to go. But when he did, it was for Baba. And so now Hogan comes along, and it's in the opposite direction. Is someone banging on your side or on my side? Yeah, no, that my, my faux beams are going in. You remember those faux beams? You might remember you telling me about the faux beams. Yeah. Well, they're faux me, and I'm getting them. All right, did we answer that question? I don't know. I think so. I heard knocking. <laughs> I didn't know if that meant that's the end. End I the segment. You, knocking, you can't come in. I, I hear you knocking, but you can't it's come in. It's keep on knocking, not I hear you knocking. Keep on I knocking. don't know. I don't think it is. It is. It's Little Richard. It certainly is. Well, I I I disagree with you there. You what what is your disagreement exactly? I I say I hear you knocking but you can't come in. No, you certainly say that. I agree with that. That's just yeah. not the song or any well, recorded it's, it's version. Well, it's a song if I if I'm singing it. I've got a song I want to sing. Paul <laughs> 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 Jones not Billy Paul, but Paul Jones was tried to hop on the bandwagon of doing shoot interviews one day. We were me and 
Paul E. was doing them were it would mean something to the regular fans and it would mean something else to the smart fans, but it would mean something one way or the other. And, and it was kind of an art to doing that. And Paul Jones decided to jump in one day and I don't know what, nobody knew what he was talking about, but part of it was, I've got a song I want to sing and I'm going to sing it. <laughs> and it, Yeah. It was funnier when he did it. What was the question? I don't think we had a question. We well, didn't, we didn't I've get got to a question yet. Yes. Okay. Who's running this show? I thought I was, but then you just well, questioned it. Well, keep running it then. Jim, before we get to any of the drama, I keep saying that because I'm trying to avoid all the drama. Did you see any of the drama-driven reviews <laughs> that have been left for Mindy's Bakery in Chicago? Of course, notorious or famous, I guess we, they didn't do anything wrong. Famous for their involvement <laughs> they in the did CM nothing Punk incident. But baking some tasty muffins. Tasty muffins for the whole family. Whether you it's it's you or it's your wife or it's your werewolf dog, Larry Talbot. They make fine, fine, tasty baked goods. Now there are various reviews here. Now some of them are obviously from CM Punk fans, some of them are clearly from Young Bucks fans. I'll read you some of them. Get your thoughts on them. You like a good insult. I well, I do, and you know, and here's the thing: the folks and at a good muffin bakery and a good muffin, a good tasty muffin. They've never got this much publicity before. I'm thinking that hopefully they're up on things, or elsewise they'll wonder about some of these comments. But yes, these are comments being left on the website or on the Facebook or what is it of Mindy's Bakery? Uh, this appears. I actually don't know where the hell these are from. They may be from Yelp or something. But let's go through some of these. I would punch a guy for one of their muffins. <laughs> the worst MMA fighter of all time recommended this place, and to my delight, it was great. Mindy's oh. Bakery is truly best in the world. Oh. Great for my old un <laughs> Great for my old unathletic body. Hey, if I'm grumpy, brittle, and narcissistic, if excuse me, if a grumpy, brittle, and narcissistic old man who have physically assaulted his higher-ups based off rumors he made up in his own head, is oh. able to get actually like something other than himself, then it must be really good. Give this place a try. It's obviously a lot of punk fans. Or a lot Boy, of punk I was about fans. to say, Meltzer's trying hard on that one, isn't he? That's actually the person who wrote that review the name was Maki Ito. So <laughs> I, I tend to think it may not be real. <laughs> I'm hurt. I'm old, I'm tired, and I work with fucking children. But Mindy's Bakery brightens my day every day. It's so good I threw a chair at one of my co-workers. <laughs> Try this place. You won't be disappointed. Let me uh, see a few more. <laughs> my favorite cake to eat when telling off the EVPs of my company. This next one says... I share a joint bank account with my mother, and we spend the majority of our earnings here on muffins and <laughs> Gets us through the headache of working with children every day. <laughs> Look in my eyes. What do you see? Muffins from Mindy's Bakery. <laughs> 
Uh, well, any thoughts on some of these early ones? Because I know we have a lot of them here, but what, what know, are your I feel, thoughts? I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, the cult of meat with extra cheese has now gone carb heavy and we're going to the muffins. Look in my eyes. What do you see? A Mindy's muffin with extra cheese. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same ring. I guess not. I'm trying to. There's so many of these that have been sent in. Do you think they actually got any sales? That's the question. They're getting attention. They're getting feedback. They're getting bullshit reviews from Maki Ito. But are they actually getting sales? Well, one would hope so. But but at the same time, you know, the a lot of these people are probably from around the world, different places. They're not there in Chicago land themselves. They're not right there on the spot, but I'm, I'm thinking and hoping that the, I'm hoping the fine folks there in Chi town will still support Mindy's bakery there. They had nothing to do with this. They bear no responsibility, no matter whose side you're on. They're just providing the Chicago land area with tasty baked goods that everybody can enjoy. And then suddenly something like this happens. You know, there's one SOB in every crowd's got to be a smart ass. We have a few more comments here. I watched a wrestler at a press conference absolutely scarfing down one of Mindy's muffins while losing his mind. <laughs> Keep in mind, he is straight edge, but it made him flip out so I thought to myself, what could be in those muffins? <laughs> so I begged my mom to let me withdraw some money from our joint bank account, <laughs> ran down there, and had a few muffins. Suddenly, I felt rage bubbling up inside of me. I was screaming about how much I hate my coworkers, how they're all empty-headed dumb, <laughs> how they're all empty-headed dumb fucks, how I haven't been friends with Scotty Colton since 2014, how I'm a grown man and it's no one's business. I'm cranky. I'm hurt. I have to work with kids. Good muffins, though. <laughs> another review. I would have given them six stars if they were in the Tokyo Dome. The best pastries to enjoy before important meetings with the EVPs. <laughs> a lot of people jumping on this, even though I have a joint bank account with my mother, I go to this place every day, except, of course, Monday and Tuesday. I have receipt. Excuse me. I have every receipt. I have every invoice. <laughs> my buddy Ace visited here after failing to eat Kenneth Omega. Awesome muffins. <laughs> You know, sometimes wrestling fans can be funny. <sighs> what do you think of all this? Well, actually, you know, muffins can be good for your digestion. There's some roughage involved in there. It makes you poop better. Uh, I think that's important, especially as we get older. Hopefully, Larry had a bite of that muffin as well, so he could uh, so he could have an enjoyable poop, a little cleanse there. Uh, I think we all ought to support Mindy's Bakery in this in this tragic time. Well, of course, Mindy's Bakery is in Chicago, and they're closed on various days, as Punk mentioned in that press conference. Spoon, and of course, Devo, the lead singer, Mark Mothersbaugh. You look a little bit like him. Anyone ever tell you that? Hey, I look like a mother what? Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo, the lead singer of Devo, at least in yeah. Whip It, the song you referenced. Whip It Good. Do you like any of the other Devo songs? Uh, what are the other Devo songs? Jocko Homo, they do a Secret Agent Man. I've heard Secret Agent Man. It was, for, it was kitschy in its own way. Satisfaction? I heard that too, maybe not so much. 
All right. Well, Jim, uh, before we get going with anything, we have some, I guess we can almost call it news. From what time was this sent out? 5.01 a.m., I believe, Eastern <coughs> Standard Time. Well, that's when all the big press releases go out. Guess who visited Sega office from the official Sega official. I said official twice, but it is Sega's official Twitter account. And it's a picture of the Sonic the Hedgehog statue in their lobby with Kenny Omega. Where is their lobby? Where are they? I'm guessing it's either in Japan or somewhere in North America. It doesn't signify or state here. Well, I thought he was suspended. He is suspended, not from video game activity, but only from wrestling activity. Well, if he's suspended, how's he going to sell this video game when it comes out? How's he going to go on a press tour? This is all his doing. He's responsible for whatever comes out and whoever's in it. It's all fallen on Olivier's shoulders. We've heard this said many times by old TK himself, Uncle Tony. So... If he's suspended, how is he going to do a press tour? If he's suspended, how's he is he is he in the game? Is he on the game? Who's on the cover of the game? I believe CM Punk in the last Ooh. image I saw, I don't know how this all works. I mean, Cody's in the game. I don't even know how Owen Hart's in the game. FTR aren't. Uh, FTR are not in the game, but Owen Hart and F- Cody are. FTR not in the game, but Cody's in the game. Owen Hart's in the game. Apparently, Punk is not only in the game, but on the cover of the game. I'm sure old Harpo didn't neglect to put himself in the game, old Twinkle Toes, so he's in there. Who are they going to get to sell this thing? You heard a lot of people talk about FTR being in the game as downloadable content. Even though they're not there to start, excited fans can purchase FTR for use in the game after the fact. Maybe they can do downloadable content of Punk's locker room, and you can have a (laughs) locker room fight. This is don't, a chair and a dog and a crutch and a steel. Don't have a ring. Don't have a, an arena. Just have locker rooms. And whoever busts in the locker room and, and fight the winner gets a, the goddamn wins the game. I don't know. And I, I, downloadable characters or content or whatever you just said, are the royalty checks the same size? Well, well here's a question for you. If he's at Sega... If this really was from yesterday or this I, I have a feeling he's he's suspended, so he's turned, he's tucked his tail between his legs. And, you know, I will give it to Kenny's parents. They did try to do everything they could do about that tail. But he's tucked his tail Can between his legs, and he's run off to Japan where 16 people think he's a great fucking guy. Well, here's the question. He's posing for this photo. Sega's tweeting it out. Kenny has a sticker on his shirt that says press. So I don't know exactly what he's there as being a part of or what this function is. But if he's suspended, that doesn't just mean he's suspended from wrestling activity. That means he's suspended as an executive vice president. If he's doing anything related to that AEW video game while he's there, he's violating the suspension, isn't he? Well, one would think if he was just some video game mark that just wandered into their headquarters like wrestling fans wander into titan tower that might be one thing but if he's got a press thing on and he is uh meeting with or associating with the people that are doing the AEW video game of which he's in charge of then that kind of sounds like work to me it, it sounds like business even if it's monkey business it is something to say that all this drama happens and kenny omega flees to a video game company in japan 
It's his safe space. Isn't that what the kids call it? He feels safe there. I guess so. In the, in the video game world with the video game characters that he relates to better than normal fucking human beings. Well, why don't we talk about it a little further and let's talk about it seriously. So Kenny Omega, based on this, is in Japan visiting Sega at a minimum. He's an executive vice president. He's suspended. The Young Bucks are executive vice presidents. They're suspended. CM Punk's the biggest star in the company. As of this moment, he's at least suspended. And I believe the same with Ace Steel and various other participants. There's an investigation going on. We don't know what that investigation truly is. If we're going with the idea there's only one investigation, we don't know what that investigation truly is. Is it just about what happened in the room that night? And can it be just about that? Or is it about... Everything that led up to that, which includes the behavior of the executive vice presidents, in which case Kenny Omega may be staying in Japan. I don't know. But what do you think about this investigation? What we know so far, what we don't know? And again, what could it be? It has to be more than just the fight, right? It has to go back to previous things and to what led them to walking down the hall and everything else. Well, if, if this was Vince McMahon, he'd say, well, you can't make a decision in a vacuum, pal. You need all the information. You need to know what led everybody to that point. What caused them to have a certain frame of mind? What caused friction to be bubbling over uh, and steps along the way of where it either could have been alleviated or it was magnified? And who's done what to who? Uh, from the feuding camps and as well you said is there only one investigation well there's going to be more than one investigation because at some point the investigation is going to find something about somebody that they don't like and don't agree with and then they're going to want to conduct their own investigation of the investigation but at minimum yes you have to go back and say okay why is yes cm punk said these things at the media scrum, why did he say these things out in public at the media scrum? What led to that? What issues has he been having that he felt this was the way to settle things? And then for the uh, the uh, invited guests to the locker room, why did anywhere from three to six of them, as best we can determine, barge into the locker room uh, instead of waiting for the owner of the company since they were his sub subordinates instead of waiting for him to tell them yeah i think we might ought to you know just pack it up and go home for tonight while emotions are running high let's everybody sit down tomorrow or would he have said well yeah i think you ought to bust in the locker room and see who gets whose ass kicked or whatever but they didn't do that they didn't wait why didn't they wait? What's their issue? Let's get it all out in the open. So yes, the investigation has to go back to what's been going on at, that we know of for at least the last several months between the Buckaroos and CM Punk and anyone uh, associated with him or sympathetic to his side of the story. Because there's and this, that's the side that hadn't been saying anything. The first we heard from the punk side was when Punk 
Did the media scrum, right? Has there been any shoot interviews from anybody associated with punk? Has there been any veiled references? Besides when punk responds to things like he did to Adam Page's interview when he did it a few weeks ago, or when he references something somebody else has done, and that's only been recent because nobody else was bothering to put out his side of the story. Well, there's a difference, too, between bothering to put out his side of the story and getting his side of the story. You also do have to, you know, it's tit for tat. Well, no, you well, and and you got the tits on one side, uh, whispering everything, and, and to all of their friendly journalists, and making sure that they have the story that they want out there, and you got the tat side that's been acting professionally and going about their business until they're forced by the lack of leadership in the company and the general overall tone to do something about it themselves because nobody else is going to do it. So you got the tit side and you got the tat side. So this investigation, if it's going... You know, have you ever noticed there's a lot more tits than there are tats in the world today? And not anymore. Everyone has a tat nowadays, it seems like. It used to be you had to be a tough guy or a sailor or something to have a tattoo. And then it became the punk rockers embraced it. And then a lot of skinny white wimps saw Henry Rollins like, I wish I was like that! And then they got tattoos, and then Axl Rose influenced a whole nother crew of people, and then they got yeah, tattoos. but there's still more tits in the world, because you know what another word for tit is, don't you? What's Boob. That? And there's a lot more boobs in the world than there are tats. All right, and there's certainly tit willows, and before we get stuck in the willows here, why don't we get back to the question I was asking you, which is about this investigation. If the investigation is about what happened in that room... Like we said before, it can't be limited to just what happened there. It has to be what caused it. I have a very difficult time. There's a few people I think have to be fired. Uh, and it may not be the people everyone else thinks, but again, if it's all about the general behavior leading into this, I I think Ace Steel's done, just because I don't know how you bring him back after this. I think Kenny Omega may have an issue. I think I think you should make Ace Steel the chairman. <laughs> he's gonna you can't steal is sean spears still there does sean spears still work there oh boy there's a name from the past see that gimmick's free available and open who was his manager tully blanchard, tully blanchard. is tully still there no he's he in was. ring of honor with cole cabana and brian cage and all the guys no one sees ever oh no he quit he didn't even he show remember he no showed their yes. pay-per-view <laughs> he no showed when he was supposed to go to yeah so, uh, yeah, but I, I'm most sympathetic to Ace Steel of anybody because he's just running in the room to save his crippled wife. I guess the question becomes from a company standpoint, is Ace Steel's responsibility to go in there and de-escalate things or go in there and fight on behalf of a side? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but if you're investigating someone, I'm going to guess that's going to be the question they're asking about Ace Steel's involvement. I would think, yes, but I would also think that, you know, if so, if your friend, his dog, and your crippled wife are in a room and six, at least, or thereabouts, full-grown adults burst into the room and there's a fight going on, you're going to go in and help the uh, outnumbered side. But that's just me. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think the end result's going to be? You know, here's the thing. If it was the wrestling business of days gone by, 
then Tony would probably fire a few miscellaneous people, yank a knot in a few other people's tails, and everybody would go on because it's business and they'll get over it. But now with independent investigations and the cuntish nature of most of the buckaroos and their feelings, you know, who knows? It, because here's the thing. Punk's been putting up with this shit for a while. If he's the biggest star in the company, he's on the video game, he's on all the posts, he's on everything. If they fire him, not only are they shooting themselves in the foot, but also he'll probably sue because he's the goddamn injured and put upon party here that not only injured himself in the line of duty, but then had various high-ranking employees burst into his fucking locker room while he's outnumbered and injured. That's a lawsuit, if nothing else. You can fire the Bucks and, and Kenny, and it wouldn't really impact business because people are already tuning them out on television anyway. And we've done nine months without Kenny, and it was actually better. I'd love to try to do nine months without the Bucks and see how the, but it, it's not like the core AEW audience is going to desert if they were not around because they'll watch anything. It's the extra several hundred thousand people that the stars get that you got to worry about going away. They're already going away just when these people pop up on television. But if Kenny was to fire, if, if Tony was to fire the buckaroos there, then they'll probably sue him. Who knows what for, but they're litigious twats. Uh, they're whiny little bitches, so that'd probably be their last resort. And I They don't may be know. suing Punk. I mean, that's the other thing. You're talking about them suing Tony or them suing AEW. They're going to sue Punk, maybe. Well, then if they sue Punk, because Punk... I get Punk... Gave one a black eye and Ace Steel knocked the other one out with the chair or vice versa. There's so many stories going around. They both got their fucking r ruby red asses kicked in fine fashion. I heard Nick Jackson's eye was closed shut immediately almost. Well, so anyway, so they might sue, but if they sue Punk, they're also, and I've, I've been a party to a few lawsuits, not from the good side, from the bad side. If they sue Punk, they almost have to sue Tony Khan. Because Tony Khan not only set up the, the working relationship and the working environment and the infrastructure of the whole thing, but it's technically, and they might actually, depending on what kind of lawyer they get, they might name the arena and or whatever arena security were being used that night as well. Because if the Bucks get a lawyer... That lawyer's not going to worry about hurting anybody in the wrestling business's feelings. If they're going to go to the point of a lawsuit, then they'd go all the way. So they might sue Punk as well as Tony Khan because it happened on his watch, and they might have to include the arena. And Ace Steel. Well, and Ace Steel, obviously. But I'm talking about even farther reaching the arena. If the arena are the ones that contracted the security. If Tony contracted the security, then he'd get sued twice. But but all these, I mean, we punched a fucking guy in Baton Rouge one night while I whacked him with the racket and Dundee punched him three times and he sued me, the members of the Midnight Express, Dundee, who he didn't know, so that was a John Doe. He didn't know who the fuck Dundee was. 
the Baton Rouge Centroplex, the security, and the city of Baton Rouge just for getting punched four times. So you spread a wide net on these lawsuits. So if they wanted to file a suit, they would. their lawyer would tell them most probably to include at least Tony Khan. Then if they were still working there, they'd be suing the guy that they worked for. So it did. It, 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 you know, I mean, from from a business only standpoint, you keep punk and you get rid of everybody else. If you want to just get rid of everybody, then you're shooting yourself in the foot for business because then you've lost significant, you know, uh, talent at the top. I don't know what he's going to fucking do. The punk stuff is interesting because, again, punk's not completely innocent. No matter what we want to say, even if you want to take someone's side, we don't know what happened in that room. So punk has to be admonished, punished, whatever it is at a minimum, just like everyone else here. But the issue becomes if Tony just suspends him, and he's going to be out now with an injury, so I don't know even what a suspension means. It's not like, you know, baseball where it's from the beginning of the season or whatever. I don't know how a suspension works if he's going to be out no matter what. It's a paid vacation, like you said. (laughs) But there will be issues bringing Punk back right now into that locker room. I mean, not just with the Bucks' friends. That is a legitimate thing. The way this all went down, the danger it put the whole company in, there are a lot of people upset about it. Does Punk just, if this happens and Tony just brings him back, whatever, a year from now, is it just he brings him right back or Punk just continues to do what he's doing and stays to himself and doesn't really interact with too many people on the roster, except for the people he talks to and gives advice to or whatever? Well, apparently he had been interacting with almost everybody on the roster that's not in the Cucamonga Kids' fucking treehouse club. We've seen the articles from a variety of people praising him for the help that he gave them or the fact that he was giving them advice and his door is always open. Now, again, they may not appreciate or they could have done without this happening because now they're shitting themselves. Oh my God, the company I'm working for may be falling apart. But otherwise than that, Punk has not done anything to dissuade those people's positive opinion of him in the locker room, just as he hasn't done anything to help the negative opinion of him that the Bucks camp has, which is what started the the rumor campaign and the blah blah blah, and well now the whole thing with fish is coming out, and now that makes a little more sense when they had that awkward match on TV a few months back that didn't several months back that didn't uh, seem like it came together like it should, and that also there was some miscommunication we thought because fuck. He kicked out right at the finish. Almost kicked out on the finish. Come to find out he did kick out on the finish. Because now we find out that Bobby Fish is a godfriend of the Bucks. They're God-fearing family men. And also Bobby Fish is apparently a right-wing religious fanatic because he just uh, admitted in public that he gave money to that lunatic referee Drake Wirtz in Florida to stop the child molesters that are apparently on every corner, according to these people. So he fits in with the ideology 
that the Bucks and their camp possess. So was that? Uh, and and then P- Fish goes into, well, my MMA is so much better than Punk's because he got his ass kicked. Noted UFC veteran Bobby Fish says this. I said this the other day. I hate to hear this because I always thought I'd never cross-examined him about every facet of his life, but I thought Fish was a good talent. He was a, an adult and serious. I didn't know he was a wacko, but now apparently he thinks he's Bobby fucking Gracie and that he could have stretched CM Punk and he did CM Punk a favor by putting him over that well in the fucking match and challenge him to a fight and I'd stretch him from asshole to appetite if it was a shoot and all this other stuff, which then backfired on Bobby Fish because all he got on Twitter in response to that was jokes about his fucking advanced age, including, hey, what could you have done? You couldn't even save Abraham Lincoln from John Wilkes Booth. But this goes to my question earlier about the investigation and how far it looks back. I got to look to see when that Bobby Fish match was. It may have been at the end of last year after Bobby Fish first came in. If Bobby Fish worked with Punk and now he's admitting he was purposely difficult and we could see it and it was noticeable at the time, although because Punk was kind of going through a phase where he would struggle in his matches, you didn't know what you, you didn't we, realize. We, th- we thought he was working the I'm rusty because I just came back deal and not the this prick won't work with me deal. Yeah, not this guy's not giving me anything and I'm trying to be a professional. And then he kicks out on the three of the pin. If that happened then. How does that not tie into all this? Bobby Fish's best friends, not best friends, I won't say that, but he's all in the Bucks camp. I mean, he's defending them. I mean, how is that not part of this whole thing? If the whole thing is that the Bucks and their friends have been waiting to get Punk. Have had a chapped ass that CM Punk was around since the beginning because it took attention off of them and they was potentially they were seeing that somebody was going to elevate people outside of their little fucking social circle and their little clique. So again, the investigation, I would think, would have to take that in. So then it covers a whole lot of other stuff. I would think they would have to interview people like Adam Page. A notably cranky motherfucker who does not take, I believe, as Dave Shearer put it, does not take disrespect well. He comes into a company as the top guy, and he gets... His finish kicked out on on TV by fucking Bobby Fish, of all people, who was the fourth member of the Undisputed Era. Um, He gets confronted by and and go a guy going into business for himself on a live promo before the main event world title match, Adam Page. He sits at home for a couple months injured after surgery, listening to all the alleged wrestling journalists whining that he's the one that got poor Colt Cabana transferred over to Ring of Honor. Like, again, like a paycheck every week for working in a non-existent wrestling promotion is a goddamn horrible thing to have happen. He's been, he's been getting a check to work in a fucking existent wrestling promotion for the past three years and done nothing. The whole argument... So, so I'm, I'm just saying that's he's had to sit on top of all this shit and fester about it because all this shit's been going on And nobody's been doing anything about it. If we are to believe that version of events, that punk is the reason Colt Cabana was not going to be there any longer, why would it have been done that way? Why would it have just been, oh, his contract's expiring, so Tony's not going to renew him? Why wouldn't it have been, hey, listen, if you want me to come in for this first dance, I don't want this guy that cost me a bunch of money 
a bunch of fucking time I had to spend dealing with this shit. I don't want him working there. That's the time you would have made the move right yeah. there. Send him fucking home. Pay him if you want, but I don't want to see him around here. I said that, but again, the contract was coming up for renewal. Tony was probably thinking, well, maybe Colts lost my number. And then one of the Jackson boys says, oh, well, here's a way we can give Colts some free money from this sucker that we work for. And at the same time, we can start some kind of campaign against CM Punk that it's all his fault. So Cabana goes home to get a check in the mailbox every week to do absolutely fucking nothing. And somehow he's a victim. See, that's the way Tony actually played it smart. I mean, in the long run, it all backfired. But he saw what happened to you when you fired Cabana from Ring of Honor. And all of a sudden you became public enemy number one. (laughs) He shifted all of that to punk. He got away from it. Yeah, you would think that I'd taken ice cream away from orphans. (laughs) we said no no we don't no we don't need you don't have a spot nothing open at this time see you later well we will keep everyone informed about what happens with this investigation like we said there's a lot of interesting things happening here depending on how big the purview is my prediction ace steel and kenny omega fired but let's see what happens now wait let's let's Chisel that into some stone here because you've been right with a lot of your predictions the last couple of years. So, And I have said Kenny Omega will be the next EVP out the door, but that, of course, was before Nick Jackson got knocked out. <laughs> and I, I don't even know which one got hit. There's a chair. That's the other thing. Is it a folding chair or is it like one of these chairs? Like what kind of chair was thrown exactly? I think it had to be a folding chair because those, those uh, big squeaky chairs like you got, they're too padded. They wouldn't have even heard a little delicate flower like uh, balding Nick Jackson. Was it a chair with four legs? Did Ace Steel come in there and pick up one of those big chairs with four legs and just <laughs> haul it across the fucking room? How did, I want to know how they used the chair. This is the most interesting part of the story that no one's talking about. Jim, BTE, Being the Elite, the Young Bucks long-running internet show, which, of course, they used... I got to say, brilliantly, to promote themselves leading into AEW. Have you ever tried to watch one of those? It's not for me. It's terrible. But some people really seem to like their How do they get anybody? There is no humor. It's It's terrible. a bunch of grown, supposedly grown adults acting childish and doing stupid shit that amuses themselves. And that's pretty much the gist of it. But that... Unfortunately, now the amusement will have to be left to themselves in the privacy of their own homes. They can't amuse themselves publicly because you were about to say, were you not being the elite? The long-running comedy series has been suspended as well. Well, not suspended, but they've suspended production for the time being. No one. That's what I mean. It's suspended, just hanging up there like dirty laundry on a line, just flapping in the breeze. It's not going nowhere. They're not going to do any more of those because what are they going to say? How do they, how do they make a public appearance of any kind in person, on video, whatever, and say anything about anything else? People go, fuck you. We want to know what happened. What do you say? What went on? So they've all got to hide, which is not a problem for Punk because if you notice most of the time when he goes home, he apparently puts his feet up and says, fuck the world, and doesn't have to be the center of attention. But these little fucking 
worms, they're out under everybody's fucking feet, getting in everybody's goddamn crotch. That is an interesting question about the Bucks. Looking at it objectively, without you just killing them, and, you know, I don't disagree with you on most things with them, <laughs> but looking at them and their role in that company and their role in professional wrestling as a whole and the rise of independent wrestling when they were there for several years, how do you come back from this? People know you got, not to use a crass term, but people know you got your ass kicked. Everyone knows you got your ass kicked. I mean, no one's saying anything else either, by the way. No one from the other side is saying, oh, no, they were fine. No, they got their ass kicked. People know this. <laughs> so how do you come back from that? How do you, they're never, I mean, if there really are lawsuits flying up and down and all over the place, they're never going to mention the name CM Punk ever again. So how do you come back if you can't even mention the guy who kicked your ass? Are you going to come back and just be those heels again? Flapping your arms and acting <clears throat> like that? I mean, how do the Young Bucks come back? Hmm, I don't want to give them any ideas. Because maybe they won't be able to think of anything, and that means they won't come back. But it, it, it again, I, I know, again, Kenny's such a fucking odd duck that he probably wouldn't mind coming. Yes, I couldn't believe people were striking each other all around me. You know, he, but the other two, no, I don't see what they can fucking say. And Punk can come out and say, you know, anytime he shows back up in public, well, where were we before I got so rudely interrupted? Because he can carry that off and his fans are going to fucking die laughing. They ain't going to give a shit. I get, you know, the, the buckaroos out there, I guess they're going to go, oh, it was so mean. It was so mean of Punk to beat up Matt and Nick. He should have to go to bed without his Pop-Tarts. You know, but otherwise, you know, I don't see what you know, part of the thing is part of the thing is everything you've said about them regarding this has been true and that these are two guys that have never been in a fight. You know, maybe they've had a little tussle here and there, but they've never really been in a fight. So I don't think they in their head expect to encounter a fight. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, I don't think these guys know. I mean, you talked about the difference in wrestlers, how wrestlers today are one thing or another. It's true with them. They're not fighters. These are guys performing athletic wrestling moves, and that's part of their issue. They want to be accepted as just doing that. Because some people are going to say, ah, Cornette, there's a lot of people in the business. Yes, there's a lot of people in the wrestling business that aren't shooters or tough guys or whatever. Uh, But that doesn't... The young bucks have never been in the wrestling business. They're not old enough. To be have been in the wrestling business. It ceased to exist about the time that they popped up. <laughs> if it, if the wrestling business still existed when the Young Bucks popped up, they wouldn't have been in it. And in the wrestling business, what happened is entirely predictable. A guy says, you got a problem? Come in my locker room and see me. They showed up. That means they had a problem, and that's what they were there for, and they got beat to the fucking punch. It's not goddamn surprising that w- that's the wrestling business where the complicated part comes in is that number one as we mentioned the majority of them in the invading group were executive vice presidents instead of just wrestlers and secondly they probably were astonished because they've probably never seen anybody get in a fight in a locker room before especially themselves And they were astonished that something like that could happen 
because they've never been in the wrestling business. But for anybody who's actually been in the wrestling business, they were about as surprised that that could happen as they're surprised that somebody might fucking speed on the interstate. Oh, golly. How do you think that changes someone, though? Again, take your feelings for them out of it. But they've been there since the beginning. The company launched with them. They've been a part of the branding. I mean, the company's all elite wrestling for a reason. So they've always been there. And now, and now this has happened. You know, they, they went in there in their own company and confronted someone. And however they thought it was going to go, it went the exact opposite way. I mean, it's got to be tough to just come back in again, doesn't it? I mean, when the fans start chanting CM Punk at them, how are they going to handle that? <laughs> I mean, it goes both ways. I'm sure it's going to happen to CM Punk, too. Actually, honest to God, do you think that... I mean, now they'll do it just because we're saying this, but in all honesty, at what point can you see Punk in the ring doing something with somebody where the fans are going to be chanting, Young Bucks, Young Bucks? But I can see the chant of CM Punk, CM Punk at the Young Bucks. I can see that happening. And they'll fucking despise it. And one last question that kind of relates to all this, but a few times recently, maybe during the press scrum, we've heard Tony Khan talk about his feeling based on wrestling history, or at least his interpretation of wrestling history. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, but just to be clear, you'll specify if it's true or not. But that conflict's a good thing. Having conflict between some of the top guys can produce good matches, can produce good promos, can produce good wrestling TV. There have been examples of it in the past, and sometimes it goes too far, like Brett and Sean. But when things weren't too bad, that conflict may have created some magic. It's always been said that maybe Vince McMahon pitted some guys against each other to see what would happen and produce something out of that. Tony's saying it here. And of course, this happened. This is not what Tony wanted, for sure. What are your thoughts on the idea of, as a booker or a promoter, not doing anything to end conflict, if anything, maybe pushing it forward a little bit, hoping that you get something out of it for your personal gain? Or for well, your company's gain, I should specify. Yeah. Um, Vince was bad with that. Vince loved to see, because he wanted people to constantly be trying to outdo each other. He wanted to make it somewhat personal between people so that they would outproduce the other guy. That would, but th it wouldn't be taken to the point of fucking, I hate this motherfucker and I want to fucking throttle him and squeeze his neck until his britches are full or whatever. I mean, he booked, if you look at Survivor Series 88... In that Survivor Series tag team match, he booked the Bulldogs and the Rougeaus to work with each other in that match after everything that happened. I mean, there's a great yes. example of it. But but that's what I'm saying. Vince liked that both with the boys and with his office personnel. You know, keep them on their toes and keep them, you know. And that's uh, there's a difference between professional jealousy and a professional rivalry and I hate this motherfucker. Lawler and Dundee had professional rivalry and professional jealousy. They were number one and number two. And they were that way for a long time. And both of them had that incredible base of fans that thought that they were the guy. But Lawler, that Lawler had the, the upper hand in terms of being over. And Dundee was the harder worker. Dundee'd be at the office or he'd do the booking and he'd sweat on it. Lawler's always taking it easy. But they worked together and had the best matches because they were still respected each other. 
Dundee didn't like Lawler's playing his fucking record on the car stereo when they would ride together, if they ever did. And, you know, Lawler would roll his eyes at shit Dundee would do or whatever the fuck, but they respected each other. If you've got guys that don't like each other personally, maybe, but there's professional respect, you can use that and everybody tries to outdo the other guy. In in other words, it's it's permissible if you're trying to outwork the other guy in the ring or outperform or outdraw or outtalk or whatever. I'll show you, motherfucker. But when you hate us, hate some son of a bitch so bad that y'all are actually going to have real fights or not be able to cooperate in promos or in angles like Brett and Sean sometimes did and holding shit up or whatever, that's when it goes too far. So, yes, Vince probably in a variety of occasions, took it too far. But a lot of the old-time promoters, they wanted some element of saltiness amongst the guys that they were booking against each other because the fans could tell it. And also, they didn't want the boys to be too united because then there was all there was trouble for the promoter in one way or another. Are they all going to stand up and want more money? Or is, are, you know, if if my top, one or two guys are strong enough and they get three or four more guys with them, are they going to try to take my territory over? And most of the time that didn't lead to somebody taking the territory from the experienced promoter. That just led to the fucking territory going to shit and everybody losing out a la Knoxville. So, you know, yes, there should be professional rivalry and a little professional jealousy and some one-upsmanship going on and a little edge to things, but it can't get this far <laughs> and have shit like this going on, or then you've just you've you've got a big bowl of shit. Well, Jim, obviously there's a lot going on here. The investigation, maybe multiple investigations, maybe lawsuits. I would have to think that if you were a wrestler and you were in the middle of all this, you would need an attorney who knows wrestling almost as well as he knows the law, and he knows the law as well as anyone. Well, I will agree with you, and the only person I can think of who can possibly apply wrestling knowledge to the law or legal knowledge to wrestling is the man, the myth, the legend himself, the leader, the consigliere of the cult of Cornette. Call Stephen P. And you know, that's the thing, Brian, is that a lot of courts in this nation, they've got attorneys in them that may know the law, but they don't know professional wrestling. What's going to happen when this ragtag band of merry misfits comes into a courtroom and starts testifying and speechifying about all the things that happened that we've been talking about? Well, this guy threw a chair and this guy handed off the dog, and this guy tried to double-cross this guy on live television. Nobody would understand that, but a man who's not only well-versed in the legal jurisprudence system, but also a man who's well-versed in the terminology and or the habits of the average professional wrestler, and of course, that is Stephen P. New, 
at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. But you say, hey, Jim, I'm not a wrestler. I just need help with my legal problem. I have been terminated wrongfully. There was no evidence that I committed sodomy with the boss's wife in the back seat of a car while his Dalmatian was driving. No evidence whatsoever, but yet I was fired over that very self-same thing. Now you've got recourse, ladies and gentlemen. You don't just have to call a trainer for that Dalmatian. You can call a lawyer. And let's say, for example, you've been poisoned. Brian, this happens often. You're walking down the street, and some guy comes up, grabs you by the back of the hair, and sticks poison down your throat. Well, this happens regularly all across America. Where? Actually, not in that way. No. They force the poison into you by polluting your groundwater and polluting your food. That's the way they do it. But it's the same thing if they were just snatching you by the head and shoving that poison in your face. Well, who can get even? Stephen P. New. He's taken many of these major companies to task for poisoning groundwater, poisoning food, poisoning the sustenance that the people need to to stay alive and live healthy lives. So if you've got fired, if you've got poisoned, if you got run over, if you were given defective merchandise that led to some injury that you sustained, like the the bad earplugs they gave our service members, and of course, we know now that Stephen P. New is taking up the banner of fighting against evil mismanagement of power companies. They got problems with those power companies, the utilities, the public servants down in Texas. He's headed down that way. He's got cases going now in, what, 10 or 12 American states, more on the way. He's jumping around. He's covering the world like Sherwin-Williams, folks. And again, he can do the same thing for you. If you'd like to get paid back for some indiscretion that has been foisted on you by one of these greedy corporations, Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. As a matter of fact, I have it on good authority. Punk has an attorney, but Larry, Larry has never been involved in a legal situation before, so he is retaining Stephen P. New. Well, Jim, let's get a few more questions before we wrap things up here this week. This next one was sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com. From Adam Phillips, Evansville, Indiana. You're Evansville! Browns. That's right. Your story about Steve Austin and Ox Baker reminded me that around that time when I was growing up in Homa, Louisiana, Sable was actually booked to do a meet and greet at the mall there. Oh my god. The price was considerably more than my parents were willing to spend, but we went to the mall that day to catch a glimpse and watch. She wore an oversized sweater and sunglasses, and by all accounts did not seem very happy to have to meet the fans. (laughs) My question is, did you have anything to do with booking her appearance? And was there anybody you did book for an appearance who adamantly expressed this was something they did not want to do? Well, second question. First, no, they'd never come out and say that because at the time Sable was making, this was 1997, 1998, right? Sable would make $5,000 to go sit somewhere. That was actually her personality. It wasn't that she was unhappy to be there. That was her person. She was probably over the moon that day. That's her personality. She'd sit there, sunglasses, 
Nah, she don't want to meet any wrestling fans. She didn't like wrestling. She was just trying to be a fucking TV star. But they never said, oh, I don't want to do that because where else was that surgically enhanced bimbo going to make $5,000 for three hours? And there's a line there, but she wouldn't get that much money for three hours. So, uh, no, a lot of the guys appreciated the extra bookings on wrestling shows when they allowed that to third-party wrestling promoters where they'd get 500 or 750 or whatever, maybe. But with the exception of a few guys, you know, the Mick Foley's, um, who were always happy to go out and do that stuff and were generally personable, you know, some of the main event people that were getting a ridiculous amount of money just sit there at a mall and sign autographs, you know. It, well, it's like the modern-day fan fest, and it sometimes guys are engaged and happy and want to you know, mess around and talk to the fans, whatever. And there's other people who are sitting there not looking up or on their phone or can't be bothered or whatever. It's, it's the same thing. But generally, it was somebody like that who would never in ever in any other lifetime in any other universe ever make anywhere near that kind of money for that amount of time for that little work. And they were miserable about it. They were doing somebody a favor to go to the mall. But I, I laughed at Homa. Because I don't remember ever, ever booking anybody in Homa. If if somebody had said, hey, send somebody to Homa, I would have sent somebody that I didn't like. I didn't know they had a mall in Homa. The only thing I ever saw was the Homa Rec Center, which was a giant mud field with a fucking uh, uh, brick building in it. And uh, that's where we nearly got killed on a regular basis every two weeks in Louisiana. On a Sunday afternoon. All right. Well, this show won't be coming out on a Sunday afternoon. Let's get a few more questions away from Homa. Jim, this next one apparently was sent several times because his last email was a little angry. I just thought, I don't love Homa. I don't love Homa. And I'm, or a Soma. And if, uh, I, oh, I love singing about the moon and yeah. the June and the spring. That's, that's easier. I'll work on the other. I don't know what you were singing the first yeah. time. Jim, this next question was from Andrew in Melbourne, Australia. He sent this in several times and is angry that we have not read it, so let's get this out of the way. Back in 2009, when Don West turned heel by cutting a promo on Mike Tenay, Oh, God. I recall reading a report where it referenced Mike Tenay in meetings would often be neutral and hesitant to pick a side in an argument or conflict. This was why, as part of the promo... Don West accused Mike Tenay of being neutral and not speaking up when West's future as a commentator was brought up. Can you please clarify whether this is indeed true or just pure garbage news from dirt sheets at the time? I know you have stated Tenay would read the formats in production meetings, which consisted of a lot of shit stains writing, which made no sense. Well, yes, and this was a lot of shit stains writing, which made no sense. Turning the announcer Don West heel, right? As Remember when they tried to turn Jim Ross heel, how well that worked out for him. People agreed with everything Jim Ross said, cheered him out of the building. Mike Tenay was, was a grown adult professional person, and Mike is a very congenial person and friendly and nice and educated and, and knowledgeable about wrestling, but he's not confrontational or bombastic. 
And most of the time, he, you know, he would sit there, not only about this, but anything. When he was reading the format, he would, he'd give me a sideways glance, a little eye roll every once in a while, because he knew that I knew I felt him, right? I feel your pain, Mike, having to read this shit out loud. And he knew it was Gaga. But he wouldn't jump into everybody. It wasn't his place, first of all. He wasn't head of creative. He wasn't a, a official with the company. He was the goddamn play-by-play announcer. So he tried to work with everybody and do the best job he could and not uh, get involved with all this childishness. We'd just laugh about it after the production meeting in a small group you know, of us that were smart to the business and knew how stupid all this shit was. But uh, no, out of that, Shitstein wanted to somehow turn Don West heel. I mean, this shit went back and forth so much. I can't remember one foot in front of the other on this thing, but it, it was centering around. He was mad at Mike because at one point they were going to move Don, I think, out of announcing and do something else. And then they changed their mind or they put him back or whatever. So, oh, well, here's a way for Don to be mad at Mike. You didn't try to help me when they tried to... It was airing, not even real dirty laundry, but they're trying to air backstage manufactured dirty laundry to make this a work shoot thing to turn the goddamn color announcer heel. And it didn't, nobody, it didn't make sense for him to be heel anyway. It was just more of fucking idiots, goddamn diarrhea on a page. And there was never any issue between Mike Tanay and Don West or between anybody. It's just, it's shit stains constant. Oh, let's make them believe this is real. And in doing so, they say a bunch of shit that makes the rest of the program sound phony as a football bat. So that's what all that was. He, you've, you've got a guy with a hundred million bad ideas and three good ones hidden in there somewhere. And he just blurts it all out like diarrhea on a plate. And then you can't see the good for all the shit on top of it. That's basically what happened. All right. Basically that's the answer to that question. All right, Jim. Well, before we wrap things up, what are you looking forward to seeing on TV this week? We have dynamite. We have SmackDown. What are we going to be watching? What are we not going to be watching? Uh, again, the WWF programs, I know they're trying to make some strides. They brought some brought some talent back. Raw is just so long, and everything about their programs, it takes forever. A promo that takes forever goes into a match with the same people, and the first 30 minutes of the show is over with by the time you get rid of them. So that, we've got, you know, they, they've got potential for some life, but right now, I think the WWE needs to follow the Hippocratic Oath. Just do no harm. Just don't fuck up. In this case, don't do anything if it has to be wrong. Because nobody's mad at them. They've got goodwill. Their ratings are up. Their overall buzz is up with Triple H. Vince is out of the way. They've got the ability to, you know, get some guys back that were not wanting to put their careers in Vince's hand. They just need to not fuck up. And they're not going to do anything that's going to cause three or four or 500,000 people to quit watching either Raw or SmackDown. So they're just fine. With AEW, it's a goddamn shitstorm. And you never know what's going to happen. 
And now who are they going to put on Wednesday night? And where is any of this going to go? It's probably not going to make sense, but we can't even figure out what wouldn't make sense. So for all the wrong reasons, nobody's really talking about the matches or whatever, except the the AEW faithful who will eat the Elmer's glue and thank you for the ice cream. But a lot of other people are going, well, yeah, what are they going to fucking do now, including us? So it may be more interesting. How did that's dynamite? If you're going to see somebody fucking paralyze themselves on live TV, that's the place you're going to see it. If you see somebody go into business for themselves on an interview, that's where you're going to see it. If you see beforehand or even afterwards, guys are going to get in a fight in the fucking locker room. That's where you're going to hear about it. So I'm, we may be looking more forward to uh, to AEW than we are the WWE just to see how much further this thing can go. And by the way, here's news. Twinkle Toes is in Japan. He is and he has slunk all the way to the land of the rising sun. Apparently, he's not suspended there. If he's doing any work for the video game, then it raises question about what the suspension really is. Are you trying to insinuate that somebody in the wrestling business would lie to the public? I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying that if you're AEW and you suspend Kenny Omega for his role in any of this, but specifically that night, and he's over there doing stuff related to the video game, first of all, that would be something he would be suspended for doing. But second is who, if if you don't have Kenny Omega, who do you have to do whatever the hell Omega's doing? And who do you have to figure out whatever the hell Omega's doing? He's there with a press pass on in the Sega office in in Japan. Was he taking a vacation and just happened to wander by and stopped to say hello to old friends? Or was he sent there with that press pass on his chest? Uh, to do official business while he's suspended in this country and he's stupid enough that he's tweeting pictures of himself doing shit he's not supposed to fucking do. How about that? There he is on the line right now. And there he is right now. Hold on. Hey, even if you're at Sega in Japan, that doesn't mean we want your fucking (laughs) off-price video game, so fuck off. (laughs) I bet they're confused now because I think that was a telemarketer. Off price. Off price, off brand, off whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, Kenny Omega, indeed, in Japan, we cannot confirm that that was him on the line there. But you talked about WWE TV with AEW. Tony Khan needs help. I have to imagine that if you're a booker and you're someone that's really hands on, it's probably really difficult to accept you need help. It's probably really difficult to know you need help and know who to turn to. I mean, you've been there where you book something for several years, and at the end of Smoky Mountain, you know, you heard every now and then, like, Brian Hildebrand wanted to do something, or Buddy wanted to take over, or something else. What do you think Tony's going through right now, knowing he has to do something, but it's got to be a difficult move to actually do something? Well, the problem is also is who to do something with, because since there are... You know, opposing sides in his locker room, if he puts all the people, if he was to say, okay, I'm going to get two or three or four people to help me out with this booking that I'm fucking up, right? Are all those two or three or four people from one camp? 
or from the other camp, or then do you have to have an equal number of people from the Buckaroos and from the normal wrestling camp uh, to make it even? And how do you know who to listen to? And that's the, the biggest thing is Tony made the mistake at the start. He didn't know who to listen to. That's how he got hooked up with the Buckaroos. And they hornswoggled him. And they convinced him they were more important than they were. And they not only got big contracts, but they got executive vice president positions. And, you know, that's where we're in the, how we're in the state we're in now. So what does he do now? He needs some wrestling, experienced wrestling personnel to not only tell him things to book and things to not book, but potentially who to listen to. But if he doesn't know who to listen to, how the fuck does he appoint those people? I don't know. I have no fucking earthly clue because this is nobody this inexperienced in professional wrestling has ever been involved in it to this level before. Even Jim Hurd knew absolutely nothing, but he wasn't trying to do everything all by himself and he didn't appoint a bunch of wrestlers that were going to cause trouble to important positions in the company. And can you think of anybody else that's ever been in charge of a, of a wrestling promotion this size or even close with less inside knowledge of experience in and overall talent for something in the wrestling business itself than Tony Khan. I can't think of anybody ever. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, again, there's only a limited amount of people who ever became promoters in wrestling successfully. Maybe Eddie Einhorn? Well, Eddie Einhorn didn't um, self-destruct this badly and didn't make a public spectacle of himself. He didn't have a lot of experience in wrestling, but at the same time, he managed to have a lot more star power for the field at the time than Tony did when he started out. Einhorn had huge fucking names in the mainstream wrestling industry working for him when he started out. Um, hey, here's a question. But for anyway, you. here's uh, a question for you. If Punk is indeed suspended and that the suspension goes, let's say it goes six months and let's say he's out nine months. Do you bring him back before he's ready to wrestle again? Uh, you know, we asked that. Somebody asked that not long ago on one of these shows when he was out with the yeah, last injury. And right. it depends on how long beforehand. Sometimes you can bring guys back. You know, I've talked about we kept Austin busy through a couple of different neck injuries. and Nobody knew he was hurt. He was just doing shit besides wrestling. It depends on, you know, where... Who he's got to work with when he comes back, how long it's going to be, or it would be before he was able to fully wrestle at 100% again. It just depends on the situation. But after that long, depending on how their business is doing, you know, he might need to be back on TV sooner than later because they're going to do the negotiations, which are going to start any old time now, the initial part with a new TV deal in the next, what, year, year and a half. And my God, you know, he can't, 
he can't be in negotiations for a new rights deal when he's putting on main events that lose 350,000 fucking viewers from the start of the program. And that means he needs to rely on people that can draw ratings on television. And that one so far has been punk. Anybody punk was affiliated with at whatever point in time. So, uh, you know, again, go ahead. Everyone's upset right now. You know, everyone's still pretty fired up about this whole thing. Tony Khan has lots of money. And any of these lawsuits, at the end of the day, what it would be about is money. If you're Tony Khan, as crazy as this may sound right now, but in a few months, do you spend what it takes to get these guys in the ring somehow to work together? Is it worth it to try and do something with all these guys, or is it a lost cause? Well... Again, if it was the wrestling business of the old days, that would work. I don't put it past uh, definitely the Cucamonga kids to, okay, it ain't ballet and shit happens. The first potato that they catch, they'll go into fucking full-fledged whiny bitch mode and try to sue or fight or do something or other. And then... What is Tony Khan's, you know, what, what's what's the statement that he makes then? Oh, everybody said they had made up. So despite the fact that we had a big incident that caused investigations and potential lawsuits and everything before, they said they all made up and wanted to work together. And that's that's what we thought they were doing until so-and-so kicked so-and-so with the point of his toe in the fucking upper goddamn uvula. And that guy fucking turned around and said, well, you son of a bitch, I oughta, and here we go, and they had another fight. Now they're suing again. I, My idea from a few months ago that I'd said to you, half jokingly but half not, that Tony should just give the Bucks and everyone who's kind of into their style and their group of friends, give them Ring of Honor and just let them do their thing there and then treat the TBS show differently. Even if you use them, just treat it differently. If they're still under contract and they're not going to be fired and Tony's not going to let him go, is that idea as crazy today? Even though Ring of Honor doesn't exist as really anything, we know they have contracted wrestlers because their buddy Colt Cabana's there. <laughs> is that as crazy an idea today as it was a couple months ago? Probably not. Uh, that Yeah, start two promotions, one wrestling and one gymnastics, and let the Cucamonga kids and their friends play there. That course then you're spending a lot of money for no fucking reason otherwise that a bunch of people are goddamn immature childish jackoffs but and then we could see whether the real wrestling or the goddamn cheerleading routines is what drew the ratings and the money and we think we know what that case would be all right jim well you and i are both exhausted this conversation and i think we're both exhausted and i think we've exhausted the show and We'd love to get some questions that are not about CM Punk and the Bucks one of these days. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. Pages upon pages of questions about CM Punk and the Bucks. Thank you to everyone who sends in your questions. Let's get a few songs for the first time in a while. Clicking around here, I have the 40th song submission sent in from Rocky the Ramon. Let's play this. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, 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 oh,
everybody was cosplay fighting. <laughs> so bad the strikes are frightening. But not the least bit exciting. Cause it's done with shitty timing. There was Funky Pockets Man with his stupid lazy shtick. Making mockery of the business with his lame ass lazy kicks. It's all gaga and no art. His matches soon fall apart. His gimmick is the shits with his hands and his pockets. Everybody was cosplay fighting. So bad the strikes are frightening. But not the least bit exciting Cause it's done with shitty timing There was Funky CM Punk And Plumber Man Moxley Punk said, watch it motherfucker You're really hurting me Stop hitting me in the head With your sloppy elbow blows But when you're wrestling a plumber I guess that's just the way it goes oh It is Rocky the Ramon. <laughs> Everyone was cosplay fighting. Let's uh, start playing this off here. Oh, I, I thought he was going to go with everybody was young bucks fighting. <laughs> well, not everybody, just a couple of people. But Jim, what do you think about the idea that is the 40th song submission from Rocky the Ramon? He's very prolific. He's right up there with Lennon and McCartney and Steve Allen as a songwriter. All right, well, I'm sure he'll take at least half of that as a compliment. Thank you, Rocky. You mean the Steve Allen part? That's not the part I meant. Let's get another song here. Here's another one, someone we haven't heard from in a while. Here's a note. It's been a while. I have a new song ready, and I would be honored if you'd play it. It's called The Year the World Went Mad. I hope you like it. It should be rather topical. And here is the latest song from Einar. Einar! A long, long time ago I've been away for seven months And I suppose a few things have changed In fact, most everything's turned upside down Vince McMahon's no longer around And Tony Khan's looks gone from confused to deranged I cling to that which still feels usual Like Vince Russo remains delusional Yet another Ric Flair farewell Jeff Hardy in a jail cell <laughs> But when the young bucks get in real life fights And aren't left staring at the lights When Raw's worth watching Monday nights You know the world's gone mad So my, my, this here Tony Khan guy Has been faking, now he's waking to the things the money just cannot buy Like respect and cred and all that wrestling know-how Maybe daddy's gonna cut a supply Daddy's gonna cut his supply. Cody succumbed to his fatigue. He was tired of being minor league. The 
Go to Mania and steal the show. Our guy wrestled with a torn titty. Interracialist, his favorite porn of category. And during rehab, he can only dance real slow. Now I know he used to be all elite. And every entrance of his was really sweet. He did smash up that throne. But Tony's number's now off his phone. He's not reporting to Triple H and WWE, I suppose. That's what you'd call irony. He keeps that Stardust costume already the year. The world went mad. Ah, sing it. Sir Cody Rhodes guy Thinking this airship is sinking But I'll keep my feet dry The all elite faithful thinks he's gonna suspire But he's a man that Tony can buy He's a man that Tony can buy Well Dave Meltzer stays in his room Rarely escapes from that messy womb Excited about what classics dynamite will bring now waits for that rating every Thursday night Looking to spin it in the most positive light Like how a year-on-year year decline Is actually a good thing <laughs> And he observes with childlike glee The death of someone where he's pre-written the obituary Leaving more time not to do his chores And to fight those Twitter wars Ooh, and what the impact for a box TV match, five is par. Meltzer is comfortingly, stably bizarre. In a year, the world's gone mad. We are singing, my, my, the Sir Dave Meltzer guy. His essentials and credentials buried in a pigsty. Loves Kenny Omega, a good slap on the thigh. But he should go outside and see some blue sky. Go outside and see some blue sky. Yeah! CM Punk started a backstage brawl. Punch Matt Jackson in the face on behalf of us all. With Kenny Omega watching on. Who wanted to be the hero as he's back in shape? But the man's held together by staples and tape. Took a beating from a steel and then was gone. Fighting record is at one and two, but he's picking fights for me and you. CM Punk won the race to punch wrestling's most punchable face. <laughs> now he will probably be out of there fast, but this time he can't bitch on Colt's podcast. I guess we'll get the real story when 20 years have passed about the year the world went mad. CM Punk guy He has had it with the bullshit And he's telling us why He bent down to give the oldest buck a black eye Now that's a pay-per-view I would buy That's a pay-per-view I would buy Vince McMahon's a dirty man Had his female employees because he can Of course an old guy needs his fix but even the business is very top brass 
Can't get away with fucking paralegals up the ass as if they were HBK circa 96. Now, whilst this is a complete disgrace, at least it rid the world of Johnny Ace. And with any luck, Kevin Dunn will have that Bucky Beaver looking fucker on the run. I think we all appreciate the fact that even the mightiest can get caught in the act. Now they will go to jail and get barebacked. The year the world went mad. So my, my, the servant's Macman guy was the bossiest of bosses, but it all went awry. Now retirement beckons and the end it is nigh. We're singing na 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 na, hey hey goodbye. Na 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 na, hey hey goodbye. We are singing, my, my, this here Vince McMahon guy was the bossiest of bosses, but it all went awry. Now retirement beckons and the end it is nigh. We're singing, na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye. Well, there it is. <laughs> The return of Einar. Look at what you've inspired. Look at what you've done. I'm to what a lyricist. What a what a what a performance. What a maneuver. Glad to see Einar back. Absolutely. And with that, the drive-through is closed. And it's been a while. Where's my here we go? Yeah. Was that was that for me or was that just a general bump on That was just a general <laughs> remark. What do you call that sound? Like we all know that. Dun, 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 dun. What do you call that? Shaving a haircut. Oh two yeah, bits. that is shaving a haircut. Yeah. Two bits. All right. Well, you got two bits worth of wrestling talk here today. And of course we'll be back at it this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And next week, right back here on the drive through. Get access to the archive, patreon.com slash cornette. $5 a month gets you access to the archive going back to 2013, patreon.com slash cornette. Don't forget about the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular Travis Heckle artwork. We've had some amazing guest artists on the page, and of course, Travis is getting well every single day, and he's been doing some great new artwork. Check everyone's art out today. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And don't forget, Subscribe to The Wrestling News, Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News, wherever you find your favorite podcasts for a free daily morning wrestling news report, The Wrestling News, or go to thewrestlingnews.com. Jim Cornette's collectibles at jimcornette.com. What do you have to say for yourself? 
What do I have to say for myself? None other than action figure Armageddon begins this Saturday the 17th along with my birthday and everybody is encouraged to go to jimcornette.com and get them one while they last. And sooner or later, my shipping supplies will be here as well. At jimcornette.com. Of course, the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week right back here on The drive through for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tell ya! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella, and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. mighty cult of cornets, and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines, with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos, and she's their champion, she's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pedro, everybody. Corny's drive-through. Corny's drive-through. Corny's drive-through. Corny's drive-through. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.